This episode is brought to you by Thorn, the industry leader in nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is actually trusted by eight U.S. national teams and championship teams in the NFL, NBA, and Major League, as well as recently becoming the official sports performance nutrition partner of the UFC. So when it comes to supplements... The tactical athlete space and the athletic space need two things. We need efficacy, meaning the products do what they say they're going to do on the label. And then we need to trust the fact that we are not going to fail either athletic drug tests or work-related drug tests. Now, Thorne has actually been around since the 1980s, where they were used by physicians and hospitals for nutritional supplements for the patients. They were so successful that athletic teams and even special operations teams reached out to them and they started supplying them as well. Very recently, they actually opened their doors to the general public. Now, what sets Thorne apart is they manufacture their own products in a state-of-the-art NSF-certified facility in South Carolina. They use only the purest possible ingredients formulated with no stearates or arbitrary fillers in the cleanest manufacturing process. Most of you listening come from a profession where it can take its toll physically and mentally, and many of us are not able to bolster our nutrition purely with the food that we eat. And that's where supplementation comes in. So if you're ready to maximize your health and performance, visit thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Take a short product quiz to be paired up with the perfect health and fitness supplements. And for you, the audience, if you use the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, BTS10, you will get 10% off your first order. And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorn. This episode is sponsored by 511 Tactical, a company that I've used for around 14 years now and continue to use to this day. And they are offering you, the audience, a 15% discount, not on one purchase, but continuously. And I'll give you that code in just a moment. But I want to do a product showcase on their new Atlas sneakers and boots. So I'm a big believer in the fact that footwear can either improve our health or break down our health. And the Atlas sneaker actually has a new foam system that disperses the body weight, whether just the body weight, whether it's a a vest and a gun, whether it's EMS bags being carried. And on top of that, they're lightweight, despite having the same protection that's required in the tactical space. So I have a pair of Atlas sneakers myself, and I can attest they're extremely comfortable. On top of footwear, of course, 511 offers a gamut of uniforms and equipment, whether it's plate carriers, backpacks, flashlights, you name it, they have it. All you have to do is go to 511tactical.com and use the code SHIELD15. That's S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5 at 511tactical.com, and you will save every time you purchase. And to learn more about the company 511 Tactical, you can listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 416 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Chief Mike Tucker. Now, Mike has spent his career in the fire service, starting as a firefighter, working his way up through to battalion chief, chief of the department, and ultimately the bureau chief of the Florida State Fire College. So this was an incredible conversation, not only Mike's personal journey through the fire service, but some of the takeaways. He's worked for two departments with a very unique taxpayer. 
He obviously oversees the training now at the Florida State level. He is trying to implement and spearhead a wellness initiative to be placed into not only the minimum standards new recruit training, but also at the officer level as well. And then Mike tells of his own health journey where he was diagnosed with cancer and sought some holistic wellness practices to accompany some of the therapy he was getting. Before we get to this conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating elevates this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library for you, planet Earth. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to everyone else who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Chief Mike Tucker. Enjoy. All right, so I'm here in my home with Mike Tucker. So uh, we've been talking for a long time, mm-hmm. and obviously I've, I've known you through various routes, but it really, the relationship has really grown from a great uh, initiative that you have in the Florida Fire College that we're going to talk about in a bit. Absolutely. But I want to start just by saying welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. It's good to be here. I appreciate you having me. So for everyone listening, um, Obviously, they know where I live, but uh, you know, where are you based yourself? Well, my home is in a place called Oxford, you know, Florida. And for those people that don't know that, that's you know, just outside of a, a little a little community called the Villages, you know, which is uh, about 130,000 retirees uh, that have relocated to the state of Florida. So it's our our version of of Disneyland for for residents, you know. So, but um, but it's a small community. Oxford is. And um, I've pretty much grown up in, you know, in Florida. So I'm pretty much right around that, you know, that same general area most of my life. Beautiful. We'll get to the villages because it's a very interesting, famous and infamous um, area of Florida. Mm-hmm. I think they just released a documentary on it from what I've been told. Um, I haven't seen it yet. but I, I have not either. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see. Absolutely. All right. So then let's start at the very beginning. And so tell me where you were born and then about your family dynamic, what your parents did and how many siblings. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I was uh, born in Abilene, Texas. My father was uh, in the Air Force, you know, so uh, for a short period of time, you know, I was a, a military brat, but uh, it didn't last, you know, too long. And, uh, you know, then we sort of uh, settled down, you know, in, in Tennessee for a while and then in, in Florida most of the most of my life. And uh, they're both, you know, uh, Floridians, you know, them, themselves. Uh, they, they grew up in South Florida. So, um, so, but we landed in, in Central Florida. And, uh, you know, my dad was a, a little bit of a nomad, you know, so we tended to move around from location to location, you know, quite often. You know, so it made made growing up a little bit of a of an interesting journey. You know, I learned to make friends, you know, pretty fast. Um, but you know, I, I grew up honestly in, in a traditional uh, U.S. family. You know, my mom, dad, you know, were married until my dad passed away. You know, close to ten ten years ago. Um, you know, and and so they were great people. You know, I grew up in a home that felt like I I knew you know that I was loved. You know, and um, parents, you know, that sacrificed, you know, for us to give us whatever we possibly could. You know, by no stretch of the imagination would we be classified, you know, as, you know, as, as being, you know, rich or, or upper middle class. You know, we we're a typical working class family, but um, my parents believed and they sacrificed uh, for the children. You know, and I've got a brother and a sister and uh, both of them are, you know, in this relative area, you know, as well. 
you know, I graduated from, you know, from Leesburg High School, you know, right here in, in Central Florida, you know, and um, and then went into the fire service a little bit after, you know, after high school, you know, but um, yeah, but again, it was it was a good growing up, you know, even with all of the moving, it was still, you know, it was still fun, you know, and still to be a part of a family unit that that love was openly displayed, you know, and um, and and so it, uh, I think it definitely set the stage for me being a parent uh, myself. Now, with the moving, because this comes up, you know, obviously some of the, the previous guests have a similar upbringing. What were some of the things when you look back now that you did right to make new friends as you moved? And what were some of the things, if any, when you look back, you realize were not the best approach? Yeah. Well, you know, honestly, the things that you, you it's hard to teach a child. You know, I think some of the things I didn't do right um, was, was that, you know, I was not a very outgoing, you know, child. Uh, honestly, even I think even to this day, although some of the people would argue with you, uh, I tend to be a little bit of an introvert. Um, and, and as a child, you know, and I, I didn't, I was not a, I was a rather plump uh, child, you know, about as, not quite as round as I was tall, but, um, you know, that, so that made sometimes growing, going into a new community a, a little bit challenging. Um, but I think the things as far as what I did right, you know, is, is moving into those communities, um, was the, uh, was the waiting and, and seeing, you know, and the willingness to make friends with a lot of different people. Um, you know, I, I always, uh, I honestly growing up felt like I was sort of middle ground, you know, as, as far as, you know, the, the, uh, the social circles, you know, inside of a school system because children can be, uh, pretty hard you know, on, on each other. And, um, you know, so I was, I was typically friends with the, you know, with the ones that were, you know, um, in the higher social circles and those that, that weren't, you know, so, so I, I think that was one of the things I did right was, was that ability to make friends with, with anybody that wanted to, you know, to be, you know, to be a friend. Interesting. You see, I had, uh, Chad, Chad Belger. He, um, good guy. He turned me onto a book called the introverts edge. And I ended up getting the author on, Matthew Pollard. And you, we don't really discuss personality types. It's not really, you know, something that I've... I mean, in all the years prior to that, I'd never really had that conversation. But when you think about introvert versus extrovert, it is something to be mindful of because we are, you know, we, we socialize differently. And I think that's something that I had a conversation with Kevin Hines, uh, his wife Margie yesterday about that very thing I, I think that probably the people that are struggling the most during these lockdowns are the extroverts because the way matthew described it if you draw energy from intimate relationships close conversations maybe even you know time on your own then you're an introvert it doesn't mean you don't like being around people but when you want to recharge where do you go Whereas an extrovert wants to be in those crowds, those bars, those rock concerts, whatever it is, and that's where they level up. So when you said about being introvert, that's something that, that Chad struggled with. You know, was once he understood that it was okay not to want to be around the boisterous firehouse antics twenty four seven, and he wasn't weird wanting to retreat and get some you know peace and quiet, read whatever it was. He was able to kind of completely reframe his own personality self-image yeah oh, absolutely and i think one of the things that we fail at at the fire service is preparing people you know for entering this workforce uh, with the differing personalities um, you know i've been i'm in my 36th year now you know of, of doing this you know this job and one of the challenges is that uh, we we tend to uh, look at people coming onto the job uh, that they should be like us 
you know, if you're going to be part of the team, you need to be like us. And, um, you know, I, I worked for a department that was very good about ostracizing people that weren't like us. And, um, you know, and unfortunately, that's a that's a challenge, you know, when you talk about this job from the from the mental perspective and the, and the issues that we see and you can't be yourself, you know, inside of that workplace, you know, and, and recognizing that all those personalities are what makes up a team, you know, and you come at it a little bit different, you know, and there there needs to be that extrovert you know, jokester, you know, in the group, but there, you know, it needs to be people that are a little more, you know, introverted and maybe philosophical and, you know, and that kind of stuff. So I think the fire service is not real good about appreciating the differences, you know, in those personalities because we certainly don't address it, you know, in the academies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's come up before in conversation about the word diversity. Like I understand completely that we want to have a tapestry of the men and women that we have in our community. And we definitely don't want to exclude areas. But diversity, you know, really is, is like you said, personality types. Like, you know, right now, I couldn't care less if whichever human being is elected as a president, if they have certain skin tones or certain genitalia, I want them to be a good leader. So that's, that's the, you know, the personality trait that I want from that particular individual. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's just, um, you know, and I have, I've worked with, um, with people that, um, you know, that socially uh, were distinctly different from me, you know, and, and, you know, and while I would probably never go have a, you know, a drink with those individuals and probably never hang out with those individuals, you know, and, and maybe even never um, agree with their lifestyle, were good people, you know, who did good things, you know, had a great heart, you know, and served people in, in a great way, you know, so you've got to appreciate them, even if you don't want to hang out with them, they're still good people. Yeah, and you know, it's someone, I had a guest on a while ago, and someone asked me to edit part of the conversation, and I understand completely why they were upset with what was said. However, what I found, and I see this more and more now, is take person X, 90% of what they do is doing great things in the world, but they got 10% of a certain prejudice, whatever. It's their personal prejudice, they're not out there you know, burning effigies or attacking people that just have that, whether it's through their own religion, you know, whatever it is. But we have an ability, we have, uh, we tend to want to burn someone down because of the 5% that people don't agree with rather than 95% of good that they're doing. And I think that's, you know, what you're talking about too. Like not all of us are going to be best buddies and, you know, groomsmen at our wedding. But when we work together as a team, in that medical emergency, that fire emergency, that's what's most important. And the fact that, you know, obviously that we band together when, when things get tough in the firehouse. But, you know, if someone says, hey, do you want to go watch a college football game? You know, they're going to think I'm boring because that's not something that floats my boat. You know, but that was, that's that little 5% or 10%. But it's the core of what we do, I think, that's most important. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So. All right. Well, you mentioned about not being the most svelte of young men. So tell me about kind of your fitness journey from that young boy to uh, being physically able to enter the fire service. Mm -hmm. Now, um, you know, I, you know, I, I made a comment about growing up, you know, you know, in, in a typical American family where I knew that I was loved by my mom and dad, um, you know, but, uh, you know, without trying to sound like I'm getting into a therapy session, you know, I, I had a, a very acidic relationship with a grandfather, you know, who um, was was very hard. Um, you know, matter of fact, he uh, was very clear about the fact that I would never amount to anything. 
you know, that I would never be anything in life. Um, and, and I think that had an, an impact on, on me as a younger individual, you know, almost that, um, you know, well, that's what they tell me I'm supposed to be. So I'm going to, I'm sort of live that out. Uh, so up until the time I was about, and it was, it was 1981 when we moved uh, to Leesburg, um, that, you know, that I had that, you know, that, that non-svelte, you know, figure and, and was, you know, very relatively inactive, you know, as a child. Um, but when I moved uh, to, to Leesburg and, and became friends with, you know, some of the neighborhood kids, you know, that, that tended to be a little more active, you know, and I, I tended to move with them and, 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 and run with them, <clears throat> made that transition, you know, from being that, you know, that, that couch potato to, you know, to being, you know, a, a lot more active. Yeah, and so, you know, that was, you know, probably it was right around the eighth grade, you know, so the, they're moving into high school, you know, I became a little more um, athletic and a, a lot more active and, you know, and, and the weight, you know, came off, you know, to a, to a great degree. Um, and, and then so, you know, finished high school, you know, I won't say svelte, but, you know, but I definitely wasn't wasn't round anymore, you know, either. And so I and, and appreciated a lot more of the activity, you know, that that high intensity stuff. Beautiful. It's funny you say that because my little eight, eighth grader is out right now with his friends and he's on a skateboard or something. But speaking of that very thing, pre-COVID, there was a whole bunch of them and they'd, they'd be out like from dusk till dawn. Oh, I've got that backwards. From dawn till dusk. That'd be weird if they were out all night. Um, but uh, a Bad parenting. Then. Yeah, it would be all good parenting. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Super independent. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, and, and drives a Ferrari, which is weird. So, um, <laughs> it's probably slinging dope, but no joking apart, he, he would run with these kids. And then now, like I've slowly, thank God it's finally to the point where they're starting to come out again, but that absolutely cut the legs off activity. And yeah. as you know, you've seen where I live, there's so much communal space, there's so many facilities for all these different sports and it was dead. It was absolutely dead. So with that activity i think sadly right now we've probably had some some adults and some children that were just ramping up and finding that activity and now all that you know, the wind's been taken out of the sails and we're gonna have to rewind that motivation again yeah yeah there will be some cascading effects you know and you know unfortunately you know i think one of my challenges with how um, you know we the collective we you know have have addressed the the covid situation is that we we shut things down to a point where um, you know, we, we made people inactive. Uh, we removed choice, you know, which, you know, when you take away people's choice, you know, the mental issues that that spin off, you know, of, of there, you know, people weren't allowed to choose their own level of risk, you know, and, and however you feel about that. But, you know, there there are cascading effects you know, to, to what you've, what we've done, you know, to the children. And, and I hope that we can, that we can retool just a little bit, you know, and get these, these kids moving again, get society moving, you know, again. Um, you know, I know that, uh, personally, one of the things that we did as a family, you know, when, when we got planted, uh, was we intentionally spent more time, you know, outdoors and looked for more venues where, where we could, you know, be together as a family, but we were moving, getting the sunshine, trying to make sure that we weren't, you know, in the house, you know, just trying to think about how bad things, you know, were at that point in time. And I've talked to other people who, you know, their families sort of did the same thing. You know, things have gotten better for them, but I think a lot of people, you know, sort of parked it on the couch and, you know, and just we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, exactly. And I think that's, 
It's interesting. I'm actually just about to get a firefighter from Guernsey. And Guernsey is a little island kind of um, between the UK and France. But it's, you know, it's, it's, one, it's one of the British Isles. Um, and Pete reached out to me and said, hey, did you know that we have been back to business as usual since June last year? I was like, uh, no, I didn't. And none of my English relatives have heard of that either. And they live in the UK. So how the hell does no one know about this? But yeah, they just, like New Zealand, like some of these other countries, they locked down immediately. It was a very short lockdown. They controlled their borders. And then they were all to, to unroll everything and everything's back to normal. And obviously, immigration is the big thing where you make sure people are tested as they come in. But um, it's insane because here we are, you know, talking about the next wave, the next wave. I was behind some guy in the post office telling me that he that a, a woman brought this new strain from the UK. That like oh, so you know that that one person was the one. That, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, it's just it's the the lack of leadership and the lack of message has created this uh, this this philosophy where no one can even see the end. Whereas there are nations in the world that did it right that are actually functioning as normal again, mm -hmm. but that's never reported. It, the the picture that's being painted is that the whole world is is dying and meanwhile there's people in Guernsey and New Zealand going what the hell's going on in London and you know New York yeah. why are they still doing that <laughs> yeah absolutely you know and then unfortunately that I think that speaks to the fact that no matter which side of the issue that you're on you know which side of the aisle that you're on you know the people have an agenda you know and, and they're trying to drive that agenda and when we've got to remember that it's we've still got to think for ourselves you know, and figure out where, where's the balance, you know, I mean, yes, it's, yes, it's dangerous. Yes, it's a real concern, you know, but I've got to find that middle ground and what works, you know, for me and my, and my family, you know, and, and, you know, try to not live your life in fear, but still understand, you know, that there's a threat out there. There'll always be a threat, you know, I mean, right now it's, it's, it's COVID, you know, when, you know, it, one year, two years, three years, four years from now, it'll, it'll, there'll be something else. I don't know what it is, but there will be something else. There's always something else because the reality is this is, this world is a, it's a dangerous place. Yeah. On a lot of different levels. I agree a hundred percent. I was, I had a, epiphany is a little strong. It was just a thought, but in my mind, if we had framed a year ago now, because it's February almost, so basically we learned about Wuhan a year, mm -hmm. so a full, full 12 months. Um, if we had framed this whole thing as assume you're going to get it, so let's focus on what we can do to make you more resilient. And in the meantime, we're going to do this lockdown, we're going to implant masks and you know all this kind of stuff, but I want your focus not to be running from a virus, but to understand that you're probably going to get it at some point. What are you going to do to make yourself as strong? The gyms would stay open. Maybe the McDonald's and Chick-fil-A's would have been the ones that closed. You know, Instead, we had the polar opposite. One of my favorite restaurants in Orlando is called uh, Dandelion Cafe. It was a vegan restaurant, some of the most amazing homegrown delicious food and they've shut down mm -hmm. whereas chick-fil-a i guarantee you is probably recording you know, reporting higher figures than they've ever had you know so to me that's lack of leadership is i get that we want to protect the weak and and slow the spread but the focus should have been on you're gonna get it what can we do to make you as healthy as possible so that when you do your reaction is as is as mild as we can make it yeah yeah absolutely and you know and you use the you talk about the the lack of leadership and you know that's at all levels you know i mean that is that is you know f federal you know state 
local, you know, the leadership issue is at, is at all levels, you know, and I think one of the things that, you know, we in, you know, in the emergency services field, you know, as a, as a firefighter yourself, you understand that comes a point in time when you, when, when you've got to take care of yourself, you know, that whether it be self-evacuate, self-defend, you know, you've got to take care of, your, of yourself and, and not look at somebody else, you know, to fix it. Yeah. Well, especially if, you know, you're being attacked by a person and someone gives you a cotton wool bud, you know? So when the information on how you're protecting yourself is somewhat wrong in the first place, that makes it even worse. It does. You know, yeah. here, this this little crocheted mask is going to protect you from all these diseases. You're going to be fine now. Yeah. Wash your hands. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Almost like a, going on a submarine with a screen door. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. All right, well, then obviously we're going to talk about, you know, wellness in the fire mm-hmm. service and you've got a very powerful story. So talk about your journey into, you know, why you decided to become a firefighter and then your first department and lead us through from there. Oh, absolutely, you know. Um, you know, obviously, you know, I graduated high school, you know, and I talk about those friends that I made, you know, when I when I moved, you know, to, to Leesburg and, you know, a couple of those, you know, uh, were our lifelong friends. Uh, you know, those the two of those individuals in particular, um, you know, we served in each other's you know best man, you know, and groomsmen and weddings and, and things like that. And I, you know, I graduated high school and uh, had planned, honestly, um, to, to go into the I was going to go into the seminary, you know, which was was my plan. You know, and, um, you know, and, and believe me, when I say that, um, you know, don't don't think that that's, you know, that was a direction I I. I took or even even lived um, for for a good part of my life. I don't want to sound like somebody who is you know is, is holier than thou, you know, for lack of a better term, um, you know. But as I was making that preparation to move in that direction, one of the uh, individuals, uh, a guy named Jeff Bennett, who um, he was a Le- became a Leesburg firefighter, um, I went to visit him one night at the station after he had. You know, he had become a firefighter and um, he's just telling me, he says, you got to try this job. It's so awesome. You know, and so I'm like, yeah, I'll try anything, you know, and, and my thought, original thoughts were to, you know, to do the fire service long enough to work my way, you know, through seminary. And for a long period of time, that was the last time I thought about seminary was when I got into the fire service. You know, I was, I lived a very a very uh, interesting, uh, you know, not colorful, but, you know, life that didn't reflect somebody who was planning on going into the ministry. And, um, you know, so, um, so obviously the fire service became, you know, um, my calling, you know, and, and I do believe it's where I'm meant to be. You know, I do believe that this is, is part of my ministry now. Um, but he convinced me to, you know, to go to fire school and, and to get my EMT and, uh, went to work ultimately, you know, started actually started out volunteering, uh, for a place called the Okahumpka Volunteer Fire Department, which, you know, is, is if you're in the Leesburg area, you know where Okahumpka is at. But beyond that, yeah, no, probably not going to know where Okahumpka is. It's Okahumpka. on a turnpike. I know yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a, if you need to pee. That's the only thing left <laughs> is a turnpike and a, and a lake, you know. So, um, but I started out with, you know, with as a volunteer firefighter. And then about a year after getting out of fire school, I became a career firefighter. Um, and, um, you know, I went from, uh, from Leesburg to South Florida, uh, wanting to work for a big city fire department. I told you my family was from South Florida. They had moved back there, you know, so I was, I followed them back there and tried to uh, become a firefighter in, in South Florida and in Broward County at that point in time. If you were a firefighter EMT, uh, you were a time, a dime a dozen. You couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting the firefighter EMT. 
And I would test for fire department after fire department after fire department. And, you know, one of the departments I tested for, I scored about a 98.5 on the examination, on the written examination. I was 132nd on the list. I didn't realize there were 132 spots between 98.5 and, and 100, but apparently there is. And, um, you know, so, but I was working private ambulance down there, testing for all of the fire departments I could possibly test for. You know, uh, one department, there were two positions open, 300 people, you know, had applied for the, for that position. And that department was recognized as being one of the worst in the, in the county. You know, they did not have a strong reputation, but 300 people wanted to work for the, apply for those two positions. And what year was this? That was in, um, 1987. Okay. You know, uh, 86 going into 87. And, um, you know, so I, I spent a year working down there. Um, I worked, uh, you know, downtown Fort Lauderdale. I worked Davie area, uh, for the private ambulance company, went to work for another private ambulance company, work in the Boca, uh, Del Rey area. You know, so you would get downtown Fort Lauderdale and run 28, 32 calls, you know, a shift, you know, but then as a 19 year old kid, you think that's phenomenal, you know, to run that kind of, those kind of calls and, um, enjoyed it. You know, I mean, I would go days, you know, not getting off of the ambulance and gain some phenomenal experience, you know, in, in that environment. And then um, happened to be back up in Central Florida with another one of the friends of mine that I mentioned, you know, being in the in his wedding, um, you know, and, and uh, saw an advertisement for a, a local fire department in Mount Dora that had, I mean, it literally was a small print advertisement, firefighter needed. And I, and I applied for it and the department hired me because of my experience as a, as an EMT, you know, in South Florida, that was the fact that I was a firefighter was a, was a plus, you know, for them, honestly, yeah. they, they needed the medical side. And so I didn't need a whole lot of onboarding when it came to that, you know, at that point in time. And so I spent a little over a year with, uh, Mount Dora and then, uh, went to a little place called Reedy Creek Improvement District. Never heard of it. Never heard of it? No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so it's, um, you know, it's uh, for those who don't know, obviously it protects Walt Disney World, Epcot, and MGM. So um, I usually tell people before, before they go there, yes, I know what a Mickey Mouse operation looks like. You know, so um, I spent 13 years there when, and as a firefighter EMT, uh, became a paramedic, uh, worked my way up into, into mid-level management. And I was battalion level, uh, running uh, the training division there, you know, at Reedy Creek. And, you know, and again, you know, Reedy Creek was, a, it taught me a lot, you know, um, you know things like customer service, you know, were, were something that's obviously important to them. Um, and then, you know, I was able to, to leave there as that mid-level officer, um, after 13 years with them and went to, went to a place called the villages, you know, which we mentioned earlier. And when I walked in there, it was one station, uh, 12 employees ran 942 calls the first year of operation. And when I left 13 years later, it was seven stations, 101 employees running 15,000 calls, you know, in a year, you know, so it was a community that was growing, you know, by leaps and bounds. Uh, you know, at one point the villages was building 500 homes a month, you know, so keeping up with it was, was mind numbing, you know, but it was a, a phenomenal opportunity, you know, to be a part of, you know, and to experience the, the community of the villages. And, you know, you mentioned that documentary earlier and there's a lot of things that get said about the villages, you know, I mean, to, I, you know, they're, I refer to them as college kids with money. You know, because they've, you know, they've got a discretionary income and they're living their second childhood, but they are a phenomenal, the residents themselves are a phenomenal group of people. Most you pimped know. out golf carts you'll ever oh, see in your life too. Absolutely. Yeah. They got, <laughs> the word discretionary income is, is lived out there, yeah. you know, but, um, you know, after, uh, after September 11th, I watched that community just do, um, as the fire department, um, we <clears throat> helped raise a hundred thousand dollars, you know, in 30 days, 
you know, for for charities. Wow. Towards towards nine eleven, it was just it was the the largesse of the of the village's residents. You know, and you know had a couple other instant situations with uh, some of my firefighters who had some very serious accidents, and and just watched the village residents, you know, reach into their pocket and just really help out on a very high level so um so no matter what you hear about the villages um if, i probably believe about 10 percent of it yeah you know, well but, you only hear the one thing usually the one running joke so yeah. you know you don't a very one-dimensional yeah perspective yeah, very much so and um then after 13 years at, at the villages um you know i was given the opportunity to come you know to the florida state fire college uh, you know, and, and I came in as an as an instructor. You know, just needed a, a change. You know, because of some things that happened personally in our in you know personal life, and he wanted to wanted to change. You know, and um, the director of the state fire marshal's office. You know, he was one of my mentors. Gave me an opportunity to come in. You know, to the fire college, and you know, in a, in a relatively short period of time, uh, became uh, bureau chief. You know, which is you know the superintendent of the Florida State Fire College, which is you know where I'm at now. And it's interesting because that was the place I graduated fire school 36 years ago. I was going to ask ago. you that. So, yeah. so you're back in the same building. I mean, that, well, yeah, back in the same building. And I used to think the guy in the corner office was pretty smart. Now I know he's an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I'm certain of it. There's nothing more empowering than visiting the college that you were a crew at, though, knowing you don't have to do any push-ups or Absolutely. climb stairs anymore. And I might even be able to tell somebody to do some push-ups, <laughs> you, know? Um, you know. So it is interesting to walk across the campus now and interact with the students, you know, and, you know, and just to, to begin to build that relationship and, and, and to try to see, you know, to figure out the ones that are going to be doing, you know, 36 years from now, they'll be sitting in that superintendent's, you know, role. And so it's, it's pretty cool to have come full circle, you know, and, um, and to be, um, you know, leaving your mark, you know, on, on the fire service. You know, I, I, you know, I've, one of my personal, you know, um, goals or desires is that when I get to the end of my career and I can look back and say, you know, there's, there's my fingerprints. You know, I was able to do something, you know, that made an impact. And I felt like I had done that, you know, at the villages, you know, building a, you know, a, a, a system, you know, with the help of a, of a lot of cool people, um, you know, that was impacting lives, you know, that were changing lives. And, and now I'm in that environment where, you know, I get to touch the, the fire service on a statewide and, and to some degree on a, on a national level. You know, it's very cool to be a part of. Um, but it's, you know, it's also uh, very humbling because I'm, I, I literally look at my career and wonder how in the world, I, you know, I got here. You know, be, I, I've, I've, I joke because I felt like a dog chasing a car, you know, and I, and I caught it. You know, and now I don't know what to do with it sometimes, <laughs> you know, but um, I've been I've been blessed, you know, as as the fire chief. I had a deputy chief that was was rock solid, you know, when it came to the operations. And as as a superintendent at the fire college, I've got an assistant superintendent that is that is head and shoulders above, you know, above anybody around him. You know, and he is he's great to work for. Um, and, you know, and I think we're going to dive into, you know, to, to some more of my journey. But I had to be out for a period of time and he ran the fire college without um, missing a lick, you know. And so he performs at a very high level. So my success has honestly been because of the people that surrounded me. And sometimes maybe my success is because I've been I've kept my mouth shut and not gotten, you know, in the way. Yeah. Love it. Well, I think before we go to your health journey, which is very powerful and obviously brings us to some, you know, very um, exciting things that we're going to do with the new recruits. 
the two departments that you spent your career with both have very unique taxpayers. Mm -hmm. One is the Walt Disney Corporation, um, and then the other one is obviously Villages, which is another you know special um, you know, group of residents, basically. So again, without naming names, without um, sounding, uh, you know, like we're trying to dig up dirt, lessons learned, what were some of the pros and what were some of the cons of a fire service working for a taxpayer like that? Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of people that will say that, you know, Reedy Creek Fire Department is, um, is you know, it caters to Disney, you know, and, and they're responsive to Disney's needs. And, you know, I try to remind them that they're like every fire department. They're responsive to their taxpayers' needs. You know, it does just happen that Disney pays 85%, you know, of their taxes, or at least back then it was about 85%. So they tended to be very responsive to Disney's, you know, to Disney's uh, needs. But the reality is that's why they were, that's why the Reed Creek Fire Department was, was created, you know, to serve not just the Disney Corporation, but the, the residents or the, the visitors, you know, that, that come to Disney. You know, I mean, um, you know, that, that back when um, Disney began, you know, there was no local fire department. There were, there were no governmental services out there to, to support that operation. That's the whole reason the Reedy Creek Improvement District was created. It was a barren landscape. It was. Though. It was. You know, and for those of you who don't know what Florida is like, you know, it, it's not the coast. You know, it is not oceans and waves and sand. You know, the, the, you get it off of the coast by about 20 miles and you'll find out it turns into swamp, you know, and, and, and lowland. And, and so, and that's what, you know, the Disney Corporation, the Disneyland's lands, not Disneyland, but Disneyland's, you know, are built on, you know, it's, it's that kind of ground, you know. So there's a lot of work that needed to be done, a lot of services that needed to be provided. And, and the Reedy Creek Improvement District was that vehicle, you know, to, to do that. You know, so with all that, you know, being said, you know, the the the, um, the pros, you know, obviously are that uh, you, you're an organization that is very focused on the customer's needs. You know, you understand that you have a customer, you know, and and that that it that your response to them goes far beyond, you know, the, the license sirens putting on the Band-Aid, you know, covering up the scratch, you know, or, or cutting people out of a, of a car. You know, you you figure out how to, to manage the emergency and then you figure out how to get that customer operational again, you know, because when that customer business is not opening, you know, and doing what they're supposed to do they're you know, they're they're losing money, you know, and then their customers are having a bad experience as well. You know, so there are cascading effects to our operation. Yeah. And so uh, and that's, I don't think that's a bad thing for the fire service, you know, to, to learn that we're part of something bigger. You know, that's not just running up and down the road with the, you know, with the red trucks, you know, and for the, for those of you that ride on yellow fire trucks and green fire trucks and white fire trucks, those are not real fire trucks. Fire trucks are red, you know, so. It's already great that. I know. <laughs> I, I'm still, I'm still going, undergoing therapy for the green fire trucks, you know, but, um, you know, so that, that was definitely, you know, a, a pro, you know, the, uh, the, the downside, you know, more from me personally was the fact that it, it was a very sterile, you know, in environment, you know, um, you know, the, the, I, I, I sort of give people the analogy that, you know, when you ride down the road at Reedy Creek and, or Disney and that, that four year old is waving at you, you know, he's waving at you because he thinks you're part of the parade, you know, as to where, you know, downtown, you know, Smithville, you know, that four year old's waving at you because he wants to be like you. You know, and there's a tremendous, you know, difference, um, you know, and, and, you know, if you if you make a mistake as a, 
you know, in, in that environment with, with Disney and you, and you, you burn something down, Disney's going to rebuild, you know, in its place and probably build back or at least cover up before you're off a shift, you know, so that you won't know, you know, that anything ever happened there. You know, so from a personal perspective, I didn't like, I, I grew to where I didn't like that. I wanted to be connected to the community, you know, again, you know, and if I made a mistake, I wanted to have to answer to Mrs. Smith because I made that mistake, you know, and have to look her in the eye and, and you know, and, and be accountable, you know, so I wanted that connectivity, you know, to the, to the community, you know, so that was, that was definitely a, a downside, you know, again, trying try not you know, to sound like I'm, you know, I'm throwing stones. There were, you know, there were challenges, you know, with, with some of the hiring, you know, and some of those ongoing practices, you know, the, the ongoing training, those kinds of challenges, you know. Um, and, and, you know, having said that, I, I don't think that they're unique to that department. There are a lot of other departments. And, I, and, and now, um, you know, in addition to uh, what I do uh, as the State Fire College uh, Bureau Chief, um, I also do consulting you know, with, uh, with a company that, uh, consults internationally. And so I see some of these departments across the country. And so those issues are there in other departments as well. So I, I definitely don't want people to think I'm, you know, throwing a stone, you know, but it is an issue that we've got in the fire service, you know, where we, we have got to raise that bar and figure out how do we raise that bar, um, still being inclusive, you know, still being, you know, realistic about who we want as a workforce, you know, but it can be done, you know, and, and I'm not sure we were always hitting that mark, you know, in, in that environment, you know. So, um, you know, but again, to walk out with that mentality for customer service, because when I went to the villages, you know, it was one of the things we built the organization around, you know, was customer service. You know, I mean, yeah, the village's corporation, you know, the private, you know, homeowner, the private owner, business owner, um, you know, they had a, they've got a business to run, you know, and, and they, if you listen to their sales pitch, I, I call it a pitch, um, they, they sell you a lifestyle, you know, and, and that lifestyle, you know, happens to include, you know, a, a quality EMS system, you know, with a very, quick response time with a very high performing, you know, medical response team with a very high cardiac arrest survival rate, you know, and, you know, when, with, uh, I could tell you with the, with, when you applied the Utstein criteria to our cardiac arrest survival rate, it was close to 70% of the people that we responded to cardiac arrest sur survived with the Utstein criteria, you know, um, with, with, you didn't, if you, if you did, didn't apply it, then, you know, we were closer to, a, to about 35 or 40 you know, percent, you know, phenomenal response time, great paramedics doing good, you know, good stuff, you know, but uh, I think we built an organization that, that recognized they were part of that lifestyle. You know, we weren't an add on, you know, we, we were part of it, you know, I mean, we were training close to 2000 people a year in, in CPR and had an AED program that would, I would tell you was second to none in this country. You know, to where we had the, the citizens were mounting AEDs on the side of their houses in their communities and were being dispatched with the fire department to cardiac arrest and respiratory arrest via their pagers and cell phones. You know, and, and we were showing up with citizen CPR already in place with an AED in place, you know, and, and, and these citizens were doing, you know, phenomenal CPR, you know. So, um, so I think it just showed that how it all came together as a, as an entire system and the citizen was a part of that and i think that, that evolved out of that really creek you know experience yeah well i mean this is an interesting thought i never thought about this before even though actually it kind of touches on one of the chapters in the book um is 
you know, again, you, you think, oh, it's a retirement community. Well, amongst that retirement community are doctors, nurses, firefighters, you know, all these people that would be more than apt to assist in some sort of emergency within that community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, the interesting part is, you know, when you talk to a lot of citizens, you, you tell them for the first time that the, the, what they're going to experience doing CPR. And, and a lot of them, you know, back away from it. They want nothing to do, you know, with it. It's scary. You know, but when you educate people and you teach people and you inform people and that moment comes, they may be a little bit hesitant, but they will step up, you know, and, and in a lot of situations, you know, the people that were you know, that were uh, stepping in and doing the CPR and, and having success were, you know, were the non-firefighters, you know, that were just the general layperson that you happen, you know, to train and they intervened in somebody else's life, you know, and, and made a difference, you know, and, and that's absolutely, you know, huge. Yeah. So, um, and, and that, that AED program in particular is one of those examples in my career where, uh, you know, I got a great feather in my cap, but it happened because I kept my mouth shut, you know, and a, a citizen literally approached me with that idea. And, you know, and instead of saying, ah, oh, it's a stupid idea, I just sort of said, huh, well, we'll try that, you know, and, and lo and behold, it worked exceptionally well yeah you know, well it's interesting because you know the creek as well has another great outcome right as i've mentioned in this podcast i'm the absolute grim reaper black cloud so everyone dies on my watch if they've gone to cardiac arrest but aside from it makes my me feel comfortable ter- <laughs> terrible anomaly statistic destroying career mm-hmm. um they were known again because you had early access you know early recognition you know early de- uh defibrillation cpr because of you know it was mainly witness arrest so their their um you know success rate i think was incredibly high compared to most so you've actually got a not a skewed perspective but a very optimistic perspective on the effectiveness Mm -hmm. of defibrillation cpr absolutely you know and and and, and honestly i was i was part of the group that made the presentation to disney corporation about their putting their first aeds oh really in place yeah yeah it was it was interesting um you know to to make that presentation and and to watch that that system grow you know and and again i think another example and it's something we've talked about before is that ability to when you know you can't get something done but there's somebody else that can get something done and you you know you you take a step back and allow them to take that step forward um you know one of the challenges i had at the villages was the aed program almost from a political perspective i took some serious serious heat you know and um and was told to stop you know and and for what uh, reason um it, it was a uh, the the fear, you know, the the fear of liability, you know, surrounding the AEDs, you know, but you know the citizens began to demand it, you know, and and I took that step back and allowed the citizens, you know, those individuals who wanted that program to 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 step up, and they were able to to convince, you know, a, a lot of people that the, it was the right thing, you know, to do, you know, and the, that AED program actually became one of their one of their uh, things they used during their sales. Uh, presentations about the the presence of AEDs and 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 the, and the survivability because of those AEDs, you know. So, you know, again, when you're willing to take a step back and let somebody else step forward, who may be able to do things you can't do for for whatever reason, you know, it's it's about furthering the cause, you know, not not furthering you know your yourself, yeah. So, well, again. Talking about, you know, my my previous department, one thing that was known a lot, I mean, it's it's somewhat well known, is that, for example, and I witnessed this myself, you know, you have someone go into full arrest and, you know, in in the real world, everything stops, you work the code, that's the priority. 
well, you know, historically I've heard of you're not allowed to work it until you take them backstage and then you can start working them. I had codes where they were, it was in a kennel, they were still checking dogs and people in while I was working this poor gentleman that, that it was a young guy too. So again, not throwing stones, but constructive criticism. How do you address when there's an overreach from an employer that actually is detrimental to our effectiveness and ability to do our jobs? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I think one of the things that you've got to do are, are find the boundaries, you know, find those, find where the third rail is at, you know, and, and you, you figure out what is going to get you, you know, um, taken out, you know, and then you don't bump up against that one, you know, but you get as close as possible, you know, and, and you develop a, a consistent message and you make sure that message is, is, is clear, you know, and, and communicated. Um, you know, it can't be a confusing message, you know, boiled down into, into a lot of emotion. There's got to be data. There's got to be stats. There's got to be, you know, things that you can really, you know, sink your teeth into, you know, and, and, and then continue to carry that message. And, and over time, you know, it will change. You know, I mean, again, being in that same environment, I remember, you know, many, many calls where, where medics, you know, were, were brought, you know, before the, you know, the, the quote unquote inquisitor, you know, trying to, why did you do that? And, um, um, you know, so, but it did change, you know, over time, but I think it was because of the consistency of the crews that were involved and the people that were involved to keep carrying that message. So that when the people that are in either, you know, in, in the power structure change, you know, or the, 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 the structure itself changes with new leadership, you know, then there's that ability to move things, you know, forward. Um, you know, but it's one of the things we tend to want to, you know, to hit it hard and, you know, thump our chest and, and make the change because, you know, well, the rule says you have to change or the standard says you have to change. And, you know, sometimes you got to back up and come at it, you know, a, a different way, you know, and the challenge is, is figuring out what that that way is. And I think it probably speaks to a lot of what you and I've talked about before is taking that message and keeping it out there, you know, so that it's always in front, you know, and it doesn't it doesn't get, you know, um you know, uh, run over by a different issue, you know, but you've got to, you've got to keep that, that conversation alive, you know, and, and now, you know, in that environment, you know, where, where you're talking about, it's, it's, it's accepted now, you know, to make that call when you, when you need to make that call, because the reality is sometimes making that call is the right thing to do, you know, for, for the family, you know, for those that are, that are still alive. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think another another example that I witnessed when I went to that department coming from Orange County, we, you know, under Orange County's protocol, which, you know, dictates both departments, um, they introduced the assistily um, code where, or protocol where, you know, you'd work X amount of rounds, you know, if it was assistily at the beginning, assistily at the end, you had a capno, you had all these things, after 20 minutes, you could call it. You didn't want to call it, you want the person to live, but you also didn't want to bring a corpse to an ER. Um, that was a hard sell. And I was at one point literally grabbed, physically grabbed by a chief and told, you know, you will, and this is on probation as well, you will take this patient to the hospital. Now, this person was, you know, getting close to almost rigor and lividity, but not quite. So right there, his eyes are gelatinous and everything. So it was an embarrassment taking this poor deceased gentleman to the to the ER. But again, like you said, I think one of the the 
things that come up over and over again is fear and especially fear of litigation. And I think that's absolutely paralyzed so many professions in this country, the quote unquote fear of getting sued. And I think a lot of that is completely unfounded, but we've created a mythology. Oh, if I don't do this, then I'm going to get sued. And I mean, even look at the, the tough book reports. When you ask the patient to sign, any person in the world, that's not my signature. Because they always look absolutely shit. Yeah, I don't <laughs> so, mind it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. it's kind of smoke and mirrors anyway. So I think, like you said, it really boils down to what is ultimately just doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and figuring how to carry that, that message, you know. Uh, we do live in a very litigious society. You know, people are willing to drop lawsuits at, at the drop of a hat, um, you know, but the reality is as, as emergency services providers, we're in that risk business anyway. The minute we flip the lights and sirens on, we've now elevated, you know, our risk profile a lot, you know. So, you know, what's, you know, what's a, a little bit more risk? You know, it's like putting Mrs. Smith, you know, and for those that remember, you know, Chief Brunacini, what's the, the risk of putting Mrs. Smith in the back of the fire engine and giving her a ride home? You know, I mean, it, you know, the risk managers in the city would probably freak, you yep. know, over doing that. But is that much more riskier than driving by her lights and sirens in her, in her car, you know? So, um, or is it risky leaving her on the side of the road, you know, waiting for somebody to come, you know, to come pick her up, you know? So, so yeah, it's a, it's, it's a challenge, you know, but you know, again, you continue to drive that message. You continue to carry that message. You do it, you know, smartly, you know, respectfully, you know, but consistently. Yeah. Now that's interesting because I mean, I, I wouldn't look back at, my time in the last place as me being cool, calm, and collected, my response to some of the resistance that I had. So, you know, it, hearing your perspective of that, and, and like I said, just some of the issues that some of these departments face, it's not about, like you said, throwing rocks. It's like, what can we learn? What can we do better? You know, what have you tried? What worked? What didn't work? So, some interesting perspectives. So, I want to get to, you know, your health journey, and obviously yeah. that'll lead us to the kind of wellness initiative. So, through your career, uh, you know, uh, tell me about the height of your wellness and then tell me some of the challenges that you had along the way. Well, um, you know, back when I was with the, the villages and I don't know if we've had this conversation, but in, uh, in um, 2005, uh, my family and I were involved in an auto accident in Jacksonville and um, rollover. And uh, we went from we were we were um, headed eastbound on Interstate 10. Uh, we ended up facing west. You know, um, after landing on top of another car and being struck by another car, um, and I was transported via helicopter, uh, fractured C4 and C5 in three places, you know, in, in my neck. Um, and then, um, you know, from there, obviously had a fused vertebrae and the halo and, and the whole nine yards. Um, and, and, you know, getting to experience the EMS system on the, you know, on the user end of it, you know, and we'll, we'll, tell you that I will I will sing the praises you know of Jacksonville Fire Rescue and and, and you know and um, and Shams Jacksonville and their their flight program you know just phenomenal you know people um, really uh, took care of us uh, my family you know made sure that you know that um, we were we were in good hands you know I got to experience the the quote-unquote brotherhood sisterhood you know of of the fire service um, you know, Jacksonville would, the, the engine company or the truck company that was just around the corner from the hospital would, when visiting hours were over, they would pick my wife up in the tiller truck, you know, and take her back to the station so she could sleep for a few hours until visiting hours happened again. What about again. liability? Isn't that dangerous? Yeah, I know. They weren't too worried about it, you know. <laughs> and then my wife thought riding in a tiller truck was really cool, you know, although they wouldn't let her drive it, you know, but it was still pretty cool, you know, to ride in it. You 
know, and, and again, but just watching that, um, you know, that that whole you know evolution of of you know how the family you know in, environment you know comes about in, in time of of crisis, you know, um, and and then you know Reedy Creek sent an ambulance to Jacksonville to pick me up and bring me back home. You know, and which was, you know, with two paramedics that um, that I was paramedics with that we be all became chief officers or, you know, or mid-level managers, um, you know, together uh, transformed me, you know, back to the house. And, you know, the outpouring of the community and I talked about the villages. I was the villages fire chief back then. The community just amazing what they did for us, you know, and what the villages corporation, you know, what they did for us, you know, as if just absolutely over the top. You know, so to feel that, that, you know, love from people, you know, a lot of times people you didn't even, you know, you didn't even know, you know, when you get a, you get a card from somebody that says, and it, it says, chief, you don't know me, you know, but you pass me and my husband every morning in the gym and you always smile and say hi to us. You know, we're praying for you. You know, that's when you're in the middle of that valley and people raise you, lift you up like that. You know, that's, that's huge, you know, um, again, from people you don't even know. <clears throat> so, you know, that was 2005, um, you know, recovered, you know, from there, um, you know, my, unfortunately, my ability to eat came back a whole lot faster than my ability to exercise. <laughs> and, um, my weight ballooned up to 225 pounds. You wow. Know, Cause you're how with, tall? I'm only five, eight. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm not, a, I'm not a tall person. Yep. You know, so, um, that was the heaviest I had ever been in my life. Sort of, you know, again, would still go to the wellness center every morning and sort of kind of, you know, do a workout, you know, um, and, and so got the weight back down you know, a little bit and but didn't didn't really live a healthy, you know, lifestyle. And, um, you know, then, you know, obviously, you know, through life transitioned out of the villages and ended up at, you know, at the Florida State Fire College. And um, on April 4th of 2019, um, I received a diagnosis of squamous cell cancer, you know, of the neck. And it was uh, stage three, you know, at that point in time. And didn't really have any symptoms other than this bump that was below my ear and behind my, my jaw. Uh, no pain, you know, no, no indicators, you know, that I was, that I was sick. Um, none of what they call the, you know, the B symptoms, the night sweats, the unexpected weight loss, none of that. I, I would tell you other than that bump, I felt fine, you know. Um, and fortunately, I have a, my, my personal physician is a, he's a little bit, a bit of a bulldog, you know, himself, you know, and, and what's interesting, he's, uh, he's a, the end, he's a kind of individual, uh, our kids grew up playing soccer together and I would never sit with him on the soccer field as of course as you know it is football and I will I will probably go so far as to say the real football mm -hmm. you know the now. one you use your feet yeah, with yeah, exactly <laughs> you know so um, great sport but um, I would never sit next to him on a soccer field because you know he's just over the top in the intensity level but you know but when it comes to being my physician he's spot on you know, so, you know, do you want a doctor to tell you what you want to hear or do you want a doctor to tell you what you need to hear? And he, he was, he dug in, you know, and he said, something, something's not right, you know, and we began that testing and relatively quick figured out what was going on, you know, and then um, it landed, you know, with an oncologist that, that is a rock star, you know, as well and a great team and a, and a, um, and my, <clears throat> my radiation doc that just, you know, with the great people. You know, when you go through those kind of experiences to have real uh, professionals walk beside you, you know, and, and to not just, you know, um, deliver patient care, but know how to pick you up, 
you know um you know my my radiation doc was a what an encourager he was more like a cheerleader than anything else you know he, you know he's one he looked at me one day and you know this 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 sucks but you're going to be okay you know and so we you know walked along that journey but um you know, I think as I started to approach my treatments and when we realized that, the, that there was a cancer, you know, involved and, you know, that um, that's not a that's not a good place to be when you hear the word cancer. Um, you know, I, I like to think of myself as a pretty, pretty solid individual. You know, I mean, there's not much, you know, shakes me. You know, but I will tell you when you hear those words, that first 24 hours rocked me. You know, and I did the <clears throat> rattle the house at two o'clock in the morning. I had my eulogy figured out. I just everything I could possibly think, you know, my wife going on without me, my kids being, you know, without me. It was all there, you know. And, and again, I'm not a I'm not a melancholy person, you know, but fortunately, I'm married to a to a woman who, who is uh, quite strong in her personality, you know, gave me the swift kick in the pants and said, this is not a death sentence. We're going to be okay, you know. So, as we started to approach the beginning of that journey, you know, um, you know, I think a mutual friend of ours, you know, a guy named Jason Liska, oh, yep. you know, who, um, you know, who said, I, "I've got somebody you need to talk to," you know. And next thing I know, there's this British guy calling my phone, you know, <laughs> and um, and it was a guy named James Gearing that says, um, "I'm sorry to hear about your journey. How can I help you?" You know. And um, so <clears throat> we started to figure out what this, what this survivorship thing looks like, you know, knowing, you know, that uh, I had another coworker who had been through breast cancer and, um, and, you know, and she told me that uh, it's not, it's not a walk in the park. Being a cancer patient, is not easy, um, you know, but when you got people that walk beside you, you know, and, and James, you were part of that, you know, beginning to figure out, you know, what, um, what I could do to help myself, you know, um, because at that point in time, I was 214 pounds, you know, my, my doctor told me, you're obese. Thanks, doc. He's a bulldog. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a bulldog, you know. <laughs> so, you know, we began to figure out what that, um, what the survivorship journey would look like. You know, and, and I think you you helped me navigate that. You know, began to introduce me to some some of your podcasts, some of the people that you've built those relationships with and, and learn from. You know, and, and I began to understand um, the body as a system. You know, and I think when I heard one of the, I forget who mentioned it, um, but it was somebody that that talked about you know acid base balance. You know, in our body. You know, and, and how we keep our body in a little more of, a, of, a, of an alkalinic state. It has the ability to fight for itself better than when it's in an acidic state. And, that, you know, of course, being a paramedic, acid-based balance made sense. Yes. So you know, bicarb. Yep, absolutely. You know, that's one of the few things bicarb is good for, <laughs> you know. Um, but, you know, so, so I began that journey of figuring out what, what health meant, you know, and, and just really begin to dive in and to learn myself. You know, because they don't, you know, they don't teach us, you know, in, in America about food, 
you know, and, and you, you come to understand that, um, that the Food and Drug Administration and all of those political factors that are involved in deciding what the food pyramid looks like and who's driving the, the studies and who's driving, you know, the, you know, the, you know, fats are bad for you conversation and, you know, and, and eat more of this because it's good for you. And, you know, and, you know, so you begin to understand everything that plays into that and you go, oh, my I've got a long way to go. So know, much so to unlearn. You absolutely have to unlearn, you know. And uh, now I will tell you that cancer will focus you. Um, at least for me, I became I became laser focused on on um, what it means to be healthy, you know. And and um, you know, one of the docs I that I've I still follow, you know, he made the comment that good health is not the absence of illness. You know, so just because you don't feel sick doesn't mean there's not something going on. And that sort of hit home with me because, you know, with my cancer, I didn't feel sick. You know, I didn't have anything that was telling me that 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 you're that you're flirting with death at this point in time. You're looking at it in the face. And, you know, so um, so we began to, to focus on that survivorship again and, and, and navigating that, um, you know, and, and got in contact with um, some docs at the University of Miami you know, who have the Sylvester Cancer Research Research Institute who are specifically focusing on researching cancer in, in fire service. Who I need to get on the show too. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I forget the main doctor's name. Well, yeah, Dr. Well, you got Natasha, Dr. Natasha Sali. You know, um, she's phenomenal. Uh, Dr. Aaron Kobitz, a great lady. Um, you know, and then Dr. Alberto Caban uh, Martinez. That's the one I've heard yeah. speak before. Yeah, yeah and he's, uh, him, him and uh, Dr. Sali do a great presentation on sleep and sleep hygiene you know and, and it's important to, to firefighters you know so yeah I would definitely recommend you know having both of them on um, you know so you know beginning to navigate that journey and, and um, you know so as we started out you know I, I started to, to focus on the right foods you know and and then um, and it, so I lost 15 pounds going into you know, cancer treatments. I lost 15 pounds during cancer treatments, which the docs told me that as long, you can't lose more than two pounds a week or we got to do a feeding tube, you know, and a, and a feeding tube. Again, that was a, that was a no go for us, you know, myself and, and my wife who made that decision, you know. So you know, when you're dealing with a cancer of the neck and you're getting radiated five days a week, you know, at your neck, it takes about two weeks and you will get the worst sore throat you've ever had in your life. I'm sure. You know, and, and I was I was drinking five milliliters of viscous lidocaine just to be able to get down, you know, a, a very high calorie boost to try to keep my calories up to where I didn't lose any more weight than that two pounds, you know, a week. And there were there were many nights and days where my wife would sit there just trying to coach me to, you know, to to get those things down because I didn't, you know, I didn't need to lose any more weight. You know, and there were there were many Many times when, you know, when you're consuming these booths that you, you wouldn't, if you did that, you didn't want anybody to watch you, you know, because you, you make one mistake gulping that thing as fast as you can. And next thing you know, you've got chocolate, you know, all over the place, you know, and, and so, and, and again, you're at a place where you, you're, you're just as a, as a human being, you just feel demoralized, you know, cause you don't, you, you're, you're just in a position where you can't. You can't do anything for yourself. You can't make it better. There's no position you can sit in. There's no rest you can take. There's no medicine that's going to make it better. You are just wore out, you know. And and when you're physically going through the radiation treatments, 
you know, it, the, the fatigue, you know, was, was phenomenal. Um, you know, I was able to continue working at the fire college, you know, um, remotely um, for a couple hours a day. And again, my assistant superintendent just, he kept the place running. So I, from, from mentally, I didn't have to focus on my job. Uh, the director's office, um, you know, they, they, they took care of me as far as, you know, making sure that I was, I was on task and, and I was taken care of. And so I could focus on the things that, that were important, you know, so I only lost the 15 pounds, you know, so two pounds a week, you know, is where I kept it. And then I lost another 15 after, um, after treatment as, as we, you know, my wife and I began to figure out what this food journey, you know, looked like, you know, in trying to transition, you know, and, um, you know, learning, you know, from, you know, from, from Joel Salatin, you know, and Dr. William Lee and, you know, Dr. Mark Hyman and, you know, those people that you listen to in various podcasts and trying to, to figure out what food means, you know, and um, so we began to figure out that we're we've transitioned to a to a plant based diet. You know, we haven't gone vegetarian or vegan, and and I won't go vegan. I can tell you that much. Um, you know, just because of some of the things that you see, um, you know, in um, the 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 vegan world can are, are still processed foods. You know, so so we've we've stuck to a to a plant based diet. My nineteen year old son doesn't like it much. He wants he wants much more meat, but he's you know he's learning. And um, and I, I will tell you that um, you know now I feel better than I've ever felt you know in my life. Um, I'm not going back to a to a non plant based diet. We we still eat a little bit of meat here and, and there, but you know it's cage free. It's pasture raised. It's you know the quality. The you way know, that now. people ate hundred years ago, more more along that line, absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. and um, you know, and, and again, it's not hard once you figure out the routine and what the rhythm is. You know, it, it's not hard. You know, I I track my calories now, but I don't count my calories. You know, and I and I honestly, I track my calories to make sure that I'm getting enough um, because you've got to take thirty percent more in volume when you're doing a plant based diet than than you do when you're when you're consuming meat and processed foods to get that same calorie count. So, I feel like I'm always full yeah people don't understand that no. they're like oh i'm gonna starve there like no you, you, the, you know the the volume of your insert highly refined product is far less than this giant hit my microphone than this giant you know meal so yeah your stretch receptors in your stomach you know you are absolutely going to be satiated much quicker with a healthy meal than you are most unhealthy meals yeah. Yeah, absolutely and you know so to to have figured that piece out and and i'm still learning you know, I'm, I'm still trying and tweaking and what about this and what about that? And I've, you know, and, and, you know, one of the things about this cancer journey is um, I went for three months. I slept one hour at a time. You know, I would sleep for an hour. I would be up for 10 minutes, coughing, spitting, hacking, you know, just to get the phlegm out. Then I would sleep an hour and then I would do it again. You know, and, um, you know, so I learned as I came out of, you know, the cancer treatments and the throat began to heal a little bit, you know, we, I began to make a lot of smoothies, you know, and I, I honestly, because I didn't chew food for that, that over three months, you know, I would still rather drink a smoothie than, than to eat anything because the jaw muscles, even, even a year and a half later, the jaw muscles are just, you know, they're fatigued. Yeah. You know, they, they, they get tired quicker. They get, they're getting stronger. Uh, some of that's just because I've resisted, you know, chewing as much as, as I, as I used to. Um, you know, so, but I have, there are times I have experimented with smoothies, things that, 
I would probably never recommend putting into a smoothie. <laughs> but, you know, but again, you know, you, you, you live and learn. So it's been a great journey. Uh, my, my wife has, has been, you know, just right there with me the entire time and has never flinched. And what about her health? What's she seen? Well, you know, um, she's a runner. You know, I mean, I, I run, but I'm not a runner. She's mm-hmm. a runner. You know, <laughs> she, she likes it. You know, and, um, you know, she feels the same way that, that, you know, she's, she's, you know, she's healthy, you know, and she feels, you know, a, a lot better, you know, so, um, so she's, she's been pretty happy with the transition, you know, as well. Um, you know, and, and reality is it has meant more work, you know, for her, you know, in, you know, in, in the kitchen as far as just prepping some things. You know, uh, because when you're eating a lot of vegetables, there's a lot more to cut up. You just don't take something out of a package and throw it onto a into a frying pan and, you know, heat it up and serve it up. But it's no more work than most people were doing in a kitchen up till about 50 or so years ago. And that's the thing. Like everyone was prepping stuff up to that point. You know, that's how you cook. But then when we had this whole fast food process, prepackaged, you know, revolution or devolution. um, Yeah. I mean, we... I heard Jocko Willing talking about starting Origin Jeans and them literally looking for people that could use this mill that they had to make this fabric. And, and you know, he said, when we lost that industry in the U.S., we lost the skills. Mm-hmm. People didn't know how to actually make this fabric. And it's the same with cooking. Like, we literally skipped a generation or two of taking raw food from the ground or meat, if you if you choose, and turning it into a healthy meal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and, and beyond that, you know, is, you know, one, to speak to your point about the time, you know, you, you factor all those hours I spent going to the doctor and, and, you know, and she spent going to the doctor with me and driving to Miami and visiting with those and, and the radiation treatments and just that whole journey. You're going to spend that time somewhere. You can either spend it in the kitchen with the food that's going to keep you healthy or give you a fighting chance, you know, or you're going to spend it in a doctor's office you know, later, you know, in life, you know, so I would, I would tell people to spend it in the kitchen. Um, and then one of the things my wife has been adamant about since the day we had children was that we would eat family, eat dinner as a family all the time. I will tell you, it is probably, I could probably count on two hands the number of times we have not eaten dinner as a family. Sometimes it's nine o'clock at night, you know, but she has been abs- adamant about that, you know. So, um, you know, so to to have this this meal now that she's prepared, you know, it's 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 just it's even it's even more enjoyable, you know, to 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 be on this journey together and to to spend time around the dinner table together and to, you know that that emotional healing that comes along with the you know with the quality foods that you're putting in and and eating and, and consuming. You know, so, um, so, you know, now I'm, I hang right around 160 pounds, you know, and I have to work to, to stay there, you know, to, to keep my calorie count up. Um, you know, when you recognize that, um, that, that sugar feeds cancer, it gives you a new perspective on a cookie. When somebody says, do you want a cookie? It's like, no, I don't want a cookie. Those things will kill you. <laughs> of course, my, my doc says I've, I've oversimplified that, you know, that quite a bit because, you know, food gets broken down into sugars to get consumed anyway. But, mm-hmm. you know, but no and also you can get some really delicious, much more whole food based cookies. And, you know, oh, like my wife, my wife is, uh, you know, big on the whole gluten free thing because it really does irritate her stomach. So some of the stuff you can make a delicious chocolate cake with avocado in it. And it's the best damn cake you ever have. Yeah. So that's the thing is even your sweet treats, you, monk fruit, you know, some mm-hmm. of these these sweeteners. There's so many other other ways of enjoying, you know, of, of, of getting that sweet fix 
without having a Snickers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're not, we don't do the keto diet at all, but, you know, there are some keto recipes for, for desserts that are, yeah, pretty good. You know, I'll certainly consume them, you know. So, um, you know, so it, it has been, you know, a, a tremendous uh, journey to be on. Um, you know, you, you wonder sometimes why you go through these kinds of, you know, of valleys, you know, um, you know, I've, uh, I've, I've got, you know, I've got a good story now and I've been able to walk beside people now who've had the exact same, you know, kind of cancer. Um, you know, uh, there was a, when I hit this, um, when, when this occurred, um, my second phone call was to Keith Tyson, you know, who you've yeah, interviewed before. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Florida cancer, uh, uh, firefighter cancer support network. Um, Keith is a good friend. Um, and, and he was, he was on the spot, you know, with, with what I needed, you know, what I was going to be walking through. And he immediately connected me to, uh, you know, some firefighters, you know, across the country who have had the exact same kind of cancer, you know, and, and, you know, so they, um, were, they were part of that circle, that emotional circle, that support circle, um, early on and then through the journey and, and even to this day, you know, still call and, and check on me and I check on them. And, you know, um, you know, a guy named Ken Kubasiak, um, out of Georgia, he's part of the cancer support network as well, but he had the same kind of cancer and it was over a year before we finally met when he happened to be passing through Ocala and we were able to meet, you know, in person and, and, you know, but what a great individual to, you know, just to constantly keep you focused, especially when you hit those moments where it just flat sucks. And you got somebody to walk beside you and say, okay, one more step. Brotherhood one more and sisterhood step. again. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and now I've had that opportunity to, to do that same thing with a couple of other firefighters themselves and, and friends who are not firefighters who had the exact same kind of cancer, you know, and, and I'm able to look at them and go, you can, you're going to be okay. You know, this is going to suck, but you're going to be okay. You know? and it's interesting that yours is the neck and I know yours is more the throat, so it might not be this, but um dustin who i want to get back on the show dustin hawkins yeah um you know when he had his um safety straps idea when he was standing in i don't know you know one of the many probably um uh health and safety collaborative you know events that they had he saw these stats somewhere and it was saying the types of cancer that we were getting a lot of them were you know throat area cancers and, you know, when you think about it, we, let's say you do decon all your stuff, say you're a little bit more progressive. Our leather radio straps that we all love, I've got one with, you know, my name on that was actually done by, uh, you know, my last department, one of the guys there, beautiful radio strap. But, and as you know, that department doesn't really see a huge amount of fire, so you're not as exposed. But take Orange County, take Anaheim, take Hialeah. You take that radio strap that goes in with you and then you throw it around, you know, on your EMS calls with your T-shirt, you're constantly getting that skin mm -hmm. exposure on that neck. So I think that there's a much bigger picture, to, you know, to cancer. And it's a lot of environmental as far as diet and, you know, that kind of thing, sleep deprivation. But when you talk about direct exposures, you know, we, we love leather in the fire service, the helmets, the straps. But we forget that that's a giant sponge that was sticking on our skin and then swaying. So, yeah, yeah. but that's the way we've always done it. You know, and so, um, you know, so you're absolutely right. And, you know, and, and Dustin, you know what, he's a neat individual. Uh, my, my fifth day on the job as a safety manager at the Bureau 
was was his boating accident. Oh, you know? really? So I was the individual who led the state investigation, you know, into his accident, and um, you know, to have, have watched, you know, his journey, and, and how he's taken something that was absolutely awful, you know, and has turned it into a, a mission and a ministry, you know, and is absolutely sold out to serving you know his his fellow firefighter you know so uh great story you know and i've heard it multiple times and i'm in tears every single time absolutely you know, that i hear it you know yeah. and, and i appreciate I it's, him it's the first the first true courageous testimony i think on the show before that you know there's a lot of great story but you know, they were you know sporting and tactical and all you know doc parsley talking about sleep but when Dustin told his story, and I can still remember it, it was in my in-law's old house because the internet was a bit crap. So I was terrified I was going to lose it. But, um, you know, I mean, that, I got so many messages after that. Hey, you know, I was on the rower and one minute I was crying, next minute I was laughing. Everyone in the gym thought I was crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, his story is so powerful. And, and the only thing that kills me is that he's had the red line rescue concept for so long. Mm-hmm. And red tape and politics and stuff that should have been out two years ago, three years ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I wish it was. You know, and again, we've been, you know, we've been part of that journey. You know, of helping him trying to figure that out. You know, and, and I don't don't take that to mean I've been intimately involved. That's been, you know, Dustin and you know, and those guys down there. You know leading that charge um but we've been trying to open doors you know for them but uh dustin you know even goes to help you on on the level of because of him now i now wear a a a pocket poof in my dress jacket that um that he mailed me and told me i had to i had to try you know so that's a shout out to just dustin well, what's there a for, pocket poof it's that <laughs> Pocket like a pen square protector thing. thing? Yeah, you know, it's not a pocket oh, protector. Oh, it's you're a talking about like a square thing. But he, <laughs> he wears it poofy, like you know, and and so it's got it's got a little bit of flair to it. So he ah, thinks he's going to take me the something <laughs> kind of redneck and turn me into a fashion statement. So, but he is he's a great individual. He yeah. is. Yeah. All right. Well, then going back to um, what you were saying, I think what was very powerful about you telling your story that resonated with me and it ties in beautifully with what we talked about at the beginning of this conversation is the power of autonomy um, over your own life as far as mental health and, you know, just overall well-being. So, you know, when someone gets a diagnosis with cancer, and sadly, not all, but a lot of medical um, professionals, communities, um, when you get ill, it's like, all right, take these, Yeah, you know. When we, especially men and women in our profession, we're fixers. So I think what needs to be told, and it's funny because it's kind of the same with the COVID thing. Like, you know, what can I control? I can control my whole wellness. I just can't control if that little microorganism is going to enter my, you know, my house, my tract. And the same with cancer. I think that's the other part of the discussion. You hear about, you know, how ketosis apparently can can be very powerful along with, you know, chemo or radiotherapy. I'd love to see studies of not chemo or radiotherapy, just you know, diet based, but it's, you know, it's going to take a very courageous mm-hmm. group of people to try just that. But, um, so, you know, for you on your journey, how empowering was it that you were given tools and you started hearing these experts that 
made you realize that you had control over other elements outside of the radiotherapy that would therefore improve your chances? It, it was huge. You know, I, I think that, you know, again, you know, as a, you know, as a paramedic, as a firefighter, and I would probably say even as a, you know, as a police officer or, or a member of the military, you know, when you, when you show up on scene, you're used to making things happen. You just things happen because you're there. You're the one making them happen. And then all of a sudden you're put into a position where you can't make anything happen, you know, anymore, you know. So from a mental level, that makes you feel literally useless, not just powerless, but but useless, you know. So, you know, to, to find some of these things where you can begin to, you know, to change your focus you can begin to, you know, to, to control the things that you, you know, can, can control. You know, you, 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 you almost, you, you pull in, you know, to where you're taking care of the four walls. You know, never mind everything else going on, you know, around you. You know, the, the, the storm or the, the, the rain or the lightning or the fire, anything on the outside. You pull into those, that four walls and you begin to control you know, those four walls. And then once you get control of what's going on inside those four walls, then you can begin to build your life, you know, back out, you know, again. And, you know, and these, these individuals that, that, that you had turned me on to and some of the other people, you know, that I was able to, to, to reach out to um, and, and help me figure some of this diet thing out because, you know, there are some people that, um, that have been near, very near and dear to me that I didn't know did some of this stuff. You know, but when all of a sudden they, they heard about what I was walking through, we're, we're right there, to, you know, to help, you know, to begin to help me figure out what, are, what, are, how can I can control those four walls? You know, what are the parts I can control, you know? And so we, we went through the seven weeks of me, my body being absolutely abused. But in that journey, I was still beginning to build a knowledge, to build an understanding, to beget my, my battle plan, you know, together you know, and, and, and to come out of this thing as, as strong as I possibly, you know, could. And, you know, so that was, that was huge, you know, to give me some level of, of control, you know, and influence, you know, and, you know, I, th I think, and um, I, I don't know if you want to, you know, talk about it, you know, at this point or, or you know, uh, a little bit later, but, you know, when you walk, you wonder why you go through some of these things sometimes, you know, the, that old, that, that, come back to the why, you know, um, you know, I was able to, to take what I was learning. And at the point in time when, when we started this process, we had just rewritten the curriculum for the firefighter training in the state of Florida. And we had built in intentionally a 12, 12 hours of healthy lifestyles is what we were calling it, but we weren't sure what it was going to be. Well, <clears throat> you know, after walking through this cancer thing, I got a pretty good idea, you know, of what this 12 hours healthy lifestyle, you know, is, is going to be, you know, and, and we are taking that piece and focusing on the four pillars of health, you know, the sleep, the nutrition, the exercise, the mental resiliency, you know, and, and now we're trying to bring together people in, you know, in the industry, like Dr. You know, Caban Martinez and Dr. Sali, you know, to, to address that sleep issue. And understanding, you know, what that means to the firefighter. You know, we're, we're, we're at a point now where we're, we've done a really good job of teaching the firefighter, get in, get out, shower within the hour. Don't carry your gear in the truck. Don't carry your gear in the station. Don't carry your gear at home. Don't put it in your car. You know, all, all that stuff. It's great stuff. You know, second hood, washer extractor, source capture, great stuff. You know, but how do we prepare the firefighter 
for the battle environment that they're fixing to go into when they go on shift and I'll, you know, use the 2448, you know, as a, you know, as that's the shift I grew up on, you know, so I know tomorrow I'm going into a battle environment that's trying to kill me. Absent the fire, the battle environment's trying to kill me, you know, so how do I prepare for that? Then when I go on shift tomorrow, how do I, to the best of my ability, you know, create an environment where my body can fight for itself, you know, and I can maximize my my survivability in that 24 hours I'm on shift. How do I survive that? And then when I'm off shift, you know, that 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 third that day off, the first day off a of shift, how do I recover from the battle environment I was in yesterday that was trying to kill me? And then tomorrow, how do I get ready for the battle environment I'm fixing to go back into the day after that? You know, so how do we teach that firefighter to, to care for themselves? We've done a great job of, of all the policies, the procedures, the things we know that need to be done. So now we need to start drilling down into the individual and teach them how to how to care for themselves, you know, to give some level, you know, of control. Um, and, and that's a challenge, you know, when you're talking about unlearning people's, you know, lifestyles. You know, people raised in the South tend to like our food fried. You know, I know that's the way I grew up. Everything was fried and there was something sweet at every, every meal. Um, you know, so how do you, how do you get them to unlearn that and to focus on other things? And, you know, and, and it, one of the challenges with the, with learning about food is there's just so, there's some squirrely stuff out there too. You know, people tell you that if you eat 5,000 pounds of grapes, you're going to cure. Well, you know, not, not quite so much, you know, there is no magic bullet when it comes to food, but using food you can you can create an environment inside your body where it can fight for itself you know so so we're um we're focusing on on the nutrition in school we're focusing on um on the, the sleep on exercise mental resiliency uh when it comes to the food um, we've actually partnered with harvard university you know dr stephen kalis you know who is who is uh doing some remote lectures you know for our staff and or for the students and trying to give them tools to to begin to learn for themselves and recognizing that most of what we're teaching these students now is in one ear and out the other but hopefully we've a couple of seeds have been planted so that when they they hit the real world as the firefighter they'll they'll start remembering and oh yeah and and back up and maybe make some changes you know so, yeah no yeah. I, th- I think it's amazing so you know i know we we started talking that and i've been you know chatting with you and chris bater trying to trying to you know bring some input but i think that's it you know we talked about raising the bar well that's how you raise the wellness bar and back to the cancers the carcinogens you know whatever you got to you know look at the resilience of the human body the more insults you put on the human body the more chance there is of us having whatever disease manifestation is going to occur so you know the sleep deprivation is something i want to get to in a minute you know because we had the discussion recently about the work week um you know the what's sprayed on our foods what's given to the animals before they're slaughtered all these things these are all mini insults which is why i think it's interesting as some of the global chemo that they used to do to me i'm I'm not a intelligent man at all but to in to destroy the immune system to try and fight disease seems kind of counterintuitive to me you know so to me you need to bolster it so teaching these young men and women at the front door that here uh here's how the job's trying to kill you Let's, let's take the gloves off you know this is how the job's trying to kill you and here's elements just like we said before here's what's in your control here's why 
in your awesome new fire station with your individual bunks, which we have actually improved your quality of sleep. You don't have to get up when the truck's on the call or the, the engine's on the call. But here's why you need to put your phone down and come to the kitchen and cook together and sit down and talk. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then like you said, that they've got that to lean into now. Even things like, you know, as, as we've talked about, the energy drinks, you know, I'm drinking Focus A right now, and that's not a paid plug, but it's a great healthy alternative to Absolutely. these horrendous things. And I know at the fire college, you've had boys and girls dropping out left, right, and center because they've been, bang, you know, throwing back energy drinks and then passing out in the gear. Yeah, we've banned them on campus. Yeah, because you know, I, could, I could tell you a couple of, uh, of stories that would just make your head spin please yeah when you when you you know you when you when you're standing in the middle of the bay and you watch a kid who just came out of the out of the burn building you know and about two minutes after he comes out of the burn building he's he's in this manic you know attack you know screaming that he's that he's drowning while he that he can't breathe while he's trying to shove ice in his face you know out of out of a bucket and he come to find out that that you know he had he had one of those energy drinks right before he went in because he thought it was a cool thing, you know, to do. And that's happened, you know, more than once, you know, on campus. So now they're not allowed, you know, I don't even let the instructors have them, you know, I could, you can, you know, what, I, what you do in your off time is, you know, it's different, but while you're at the fire college, we're not having, you know, those, those energy drinks. Um, and then, you know, we're again, we're, we're, um, we oversee Florida firefighter OSHA you know, the safety program in the state of Florida. And uh, we have to investigate all firefighter hospitalizations f for an injury, not necessarily for a for an illness. Um, but we do get the calls sometimes from departments that say, hey, we've just transported a firefighter to the hospital. Um, we have seen firefighters who, who did a super intense workout, CrossFit-style workout on shift, you know, drank a couple energy drinks when they were done with their cross-style workout and then caught a structure fire and then spent three days in the hospital as they tried to get their chemistry back, yeah, right, you know, in the balance, you know, it's mm -hmm. just, you know, you know, those, 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 those things are bad, you know, they're, 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 they're dangerous and, you know, and I don't want to, you know, I, I'm sure I'll, somebody will throw a stone at me for, for saying it, you know, um, you know, I deployed out to Texas with, you know, Florida's task force, uh, three and task force four, you know, and those guys were sucking the energy drinks down like you wouldn't believe. And I'm just, yeah. yeah well, we're a sleep deprived right. population mm -hmm. and that's, I understand why people reach for it. But again, it's education. It's understanding that some of these more holistic tools will work far more efficiently than these bangs. And you're going to get that crash and you're going to be even worse. And like you said, God forbid, you might go down in a structure fire, A, not rescue that kid and B, now, you know, endanger a whole crew pulling you out as that child burns to death. Yeah. So it's a responsibility to educate yourself and understand why? And then the, the concept of pre-workout, like if you can't motivate yourself to go into a gym and work out without chemicals, again, maybe you should take a step back yeah. and look at your own motivation because yeah, you, know, you should be able to. And you're not, you know, Thor, you're not deadlifting 110 pounds, you're a firefighter doing some push-ups and, you know, pull-ups. So mm -hmm. you don't need to have a chemical to, you know, to light a fire up your ass. No, absolutely not. And, and just so you know that, you know, um, yeah, we've talked about the food, but we've, I've made a transition in my, in my workouts as well, you know, and, and I'm not a CrossFitter, you know, I'm not one of those people that, you know, that when I'm done with the workout, I'm just, you know, laid out, absolutely drenched and drained, you know, you know, but, you know, we've ratcheted up the, the intensity level, you know, as well. So I don't want any people to believe that I've, that I've become this, super workout fiend you know as well you know but it's all part of the the nutrition the exercise you know it's all part of keeping that body at a level where it can fight for itself yeah you know? 
So, well, I think it's amazing that you're putting wellness in there. I know they've already put uh, mental health in there at the front door as well. Um, tell me about the other side of this kind of educational sandwich on the officer level. Absolutely. Well, you know, and, you know, one of the other things I want to along the way, make sure we give some, some a shout out to the Florida Health and Safety Collaborative, because you mentioned, you know, Chris Bader and Dustin Hawkins. Yep. And, you know, Amazing and there's, there's a bunch of others. I mean, I would run out of names of guys that are that are doing phenomenal jobs. Um, but that that's funny. That health and safety collaborative is another thing in my career. I can tell you that literally, literally started off with one person and an idea. That was Ryan Gaelic. Ryan Gaelic, yeah. Mm-hmm. Give him a he, shout out to. He I think said, he's at the um, creek now, isn't he? He was. He's doing some some contract work, yeah. you know, with the creek and doing some self employed stuff. But you know, he's one of those that approached me, chief. I got this idea, and he pitched it to me, and I went, well, okay, well, we'll run with that, you know. And I and I assigned a task. I tasked one of my safety reps, you know, to sort of help them, you know formulate this idea and then he brought he, he he was able to reach out to you know the chris bader and that group and they collectively took it to the next level that health and safety collaborative has been a force multiplier for us you know health and safety officer the uh, the firefighter off say the firefighter occupational safety and health group in the fire college consists of one manager a, 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 a administrative assistant and four part-time safety reps we couldn't do the things that the collaborative along with the face team, you know, have been able to do, you know, they've, they've taken what we could sort of kind of do and have ratcheted up to the next level, you know, and, and now that the collaborative has gone, you know, international, you know, the face team has gone, you know, international, just amazing stuff, you know, so I can't speak highly enough of them. But again, it started with one person who had a crazy idea, you know, about departments working together. Huh. Imagine that departments working together yeah you know so communication yeah it's cool you know and so you know but you know to back to your point about trying to you know we've, we've now introduced this thing into the firefighter curriculum you know and trying to refine it you know we're not hitting it as much as well as we'd like but it's a work in progress you know so we're, we're getting it it's getting traction uh, and then now we're starting to take what we've we've learned from those four pillars of health and we're going to start introducing it into the chief officer class the company officer class and and into the health and safety officer curriculum you know as well so trying to come at it from bottom up and and the top down and to, to squeeze you know in, into the middle you know so that you got the new recruits that are coming up that are expecting you know, this, these things to be in place and demanding them much like we did with air packs, you know, and then now you've, we're starting to educate the chief officer and those company officers about what, uh, what that looks like, you know, uh, those four pillars of health. And, and, and so you've got the ones who expect it. And then you've got the enablers, the ones who can hopefully open those doors. You know, I mean, the reality is chiefs are, their hands are tied like everybody else's. They've got budget constraints and things they can, can and can't do, you know, but they can certainly begin to open doors and have conversations. And so we're trying to come at it from a, from a sandwich perspective, you know, to change, you know, our, you know, our industry. And, and I think we're, we're starting to, starting to make some inroads and some real conversations are happening. I can tell you what's the uh, fire, the Florida fire chiefs association, that's health and safety conference they put on, you know, now because of um, what the collaborative has done along with what, you know, the, the state fire marshal's office has done and the bureau of fire standards and training, you know, and, and some key leaders within the FFCA, that conference is now 
pretty rock solid, you know, when it comes to content, you know, and attendance, you know. So even this last year when we had to do it virtually, it was it was pretty darn good. I was pretty impressed with with what they were able to pull off, you know, in a virtual environment. You yeah. Um, you know, so so we're, we're trying to come at it from multiple angles, you know, to get uh, people understanding what the what the real issues you know are, because you can't you can't legislate good health. You know, you have got to teach people you know, the, what, what realities are, and then they will figure it out, you know, and, it, and, you know, what works for me is may not be something that works for you. No, that's what people don't understand. Like you, you sow the seeds, you teach them principles, mm-hmm. and then they find their own, wor- own road and every road is going to be different. Absolutely. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, you know, so it's, it's pretty cool, you know, to, to watch, you yeah. know, and, um, you know, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Well, I think what what's, again, from, from the outside looking in, what I see is you've got these young men and women going through the academy that are going to get us from the front door. So that's fantastic. And it's going to, you know, even pay into them doing well in the fire academy. If they eat well in the fire academy and hydrate and, you know, understand, you know, that it's important to sleep, they're going to perform better and, and you know, hopefully be successful through probation and, and thrive in their their career. And the most interesting, I think, at the officer level is you've got your 10 plus year men and women who are starting to feel the pinch of being a firefighter and who are going to listen to these presentations probably and go, oh shit, that's exactly how I feel. That's what's going on with me. So hopefully that will not only sow seeds as far as, you know, a a presentation like here's what, you know, should be going on, but it'll actually sow some aha seeds. And then when they have that own kind of realization of their own journey, then that will give them true, a true why and a true enthusiasm to then impart that, as you said, back down the chain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, so, you know, I guess, and again, it's exciting times. Yeah. You know, so, again, you get to leave your fingerprints on the fire service. You know, absolutely. We'll see where it goes. Beautiful. Well, one more area before we uh, transition to some closing questions. You know, as you know, the firefighter work week is kind of a you know a passion of mine we talk about leaving fingerprints i would love to nothing else from this um you know make the 24 uh, 72 the gold standard in the fire service because mm-hmm. to me sleep, de- sleep deprivation is one of the biggest killers of firefighters hands down and every person i've had on so far who has been an expert in that field because i'm not an expert has said the exact same thing, whether it's the Army, Navy, Air Force, you know, sporting world, whatever. I forgot um, the Marines. And the Marines, yeah. especially the Marines. And the Coast Guard. Yeah. Have I had a Marine on? That's a good question. I've got a Marine that's coming on, but I'm waiting for him to retire so he can actually come on and speak mm-hmm. freely. So <laughs> this summer will be definitely a Marine person too. Um, but uh, so, but you told me something interesting about the, you know, why we've ended up with this standard of the work week. So tell me, you know, you, you've, you've, overseen the state of florida we have departments like boca that i think are doing it right obviously the whole northeast of the u.s i think is doing it right um how have we backed ourselves on a corner with the work week and through your eyes what is the road to standardizing a 42-hour work week for Mm -hmm. firefighters well you know i obviously i have heard you talk a lot about the 24 you know 72 you know and and you know the transitioning from a 2448 to a 2472 it's a real issue you know it's it's a big hill you know for us to climb as an industry um you know and i'm not sure we're going to get there in you know in, in my you know lifetime you know but 
It's a lot shorter than yesterday. That's why I exercise and eat well. I'm going to be here forever. Yeah, okay. So it's done. They say only the good die young, so you might be okay. (laughs) But, um, you know, so so trying to move in that direction of the 2472 is going to be a big lift. You know, it's going to, it's going to be a cost, you know, to the, to the community um, and figuring out, I think this comes back to what we talked about at the beginning, you know, of, of, you know, of the interview is, you know, it's about developing the message, you know, and, and clearly and concisely communicating that, that message, you know, to uh, the taxpayer, to the elected officials, you know, to the, to the executives, you know, in, in charge of the cities, the counties and the special districts, you know, of, of, of what the issues are. Um, you know, I think the reality is that the, the 53 slash 56 hour work week, you know, the 56 without a Kelly, um, is, is allowed, um, because the Fair Labor Standards Act allows it. You know, it is the, it is the law that drives, you know, what a firefighter's work schedule can be. It says 53 hours on average is what a firefighter is allowed to work before they, they're, they're entitled to overtime. You know, um, so when you, when you ask, well, why is our, why is our work week 50, 56 or 53 hours? My answer would be, it's the law. You know, it's allowed, you know, so until we ever get to that point to where that situation is addressed, you know, the 56 hour work week will probably continue to be, to be the norm. Now, why is it different for us than civilians in an office or a grocery store? Well, you know, I, I think that, we've got to have a real hard conversation with ourselves, you know, as the fire service, you know, the, the reality is for the longest time, you know, we were not the smartest people, you know, we were the, we were literally the, the knuckle draggers that did not graduate high school, that did not have, you know, advanced educations. We were expected to drag a hose, put water on fire, go back to the station. You know, we, we literally were um, the equivalent to a caged animal. You know, when the emergency happened, they opened the door, you attack the, the emergency, and when the emergency's over, they put you back in the, you know, in the, in the cage, flash the station, you know, and told you to, to be nice, you know, in the meantime. You, know. you ever thought about that? We, we hire you to fight fire. We train you to fight fire. And then we put you inside of four walls and we say, be nice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little bit of a dichotomy, you know, so. Well, especially where we've worked in the past because, you know, the fire ground is an ugly place, a true fire ground. You know, a horrific crash is an ugly place. And then, as you and I know, your next call, you're literally delivering a Band-Aid and they're wondering why that's not okay yeah. to call 911. Yeah, so, yeah, I yeah. mean, trust me, I, 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 I relate more to the cage animal than the other side. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we did not, we, when I was there, we didn't transition well when we were the behind-the-scenes don't be seen, don't be heard to all of a sudden we're, we're, we're on stage and they're, they're, they're sending people to us for tours. We were, we were not well behaved. You know, we didn't make that transition well, (laughs) you know, so, um, you know, but, you know, again, back to, I think what's, what's gotten us here is the fact that when the, the, when the only thing was that we fought fire, you know, and there weren't a whole lot of them. I mean, unless you were, you know, a major metropolitan area, New York City, a Philadelphia, you know, uh, Baltimore, where they're, you know, Detroit, you know, where they're fighting lots of fire. You know, most fire services up until 20 years ago, it's no big deal to work 56 hours and, and be relatively well rested, you know, and we weren't paid a whole lot. You know, when I got in this business, I made $14,496.25 my first year. 
you know, and and so you know the the job was was relatively simple. You you, I won't say you rested, you know, but you weren't getting beat up every shift. Yeah, well, your typical firefighter now is getting hammered every day. Yeah, it may not be thirty calls a shift, you know, but they're they're running the medical calls because they have to. You know, the ambulances are are over worked you know the firefighters are have to have to be out there running those medical calls as well you know so the work week fit what we used to do you know from a relatively run some structure fires here and there maybe the occasional brush fire to now all of a sudden you know we're getting hammered you know and you know when you think about it you know 10 calls in a shift is it's that's that's a lot of you know you know, anxiety up, anxiety down. Yeah, that's around all the hydrant testing reports. Absolutely. You know, online training, yep. the occasional actual real training, mm-hmm. you know, and then, yeah, everything else. Yeah. I mean, and those are things that need to be done. You know, I mean, the reality is pre-fire plans need to be done. Training needs to be done. Paperwork needs to be filled out. Quality assurance, quality control is is real stuff. You know, but, you know, when you throw it on top of everything else, you know, it, it tends to weigh down on you mentally, yeah. you know, as well. And, and so again, finding that, that balance, you know, um, you know, so, um, that's the challenge for a chief officer. So, you know, with that being said, you know, we had an environment that 56 hours work week wasn't that big of a deal, you know, to where now it is a big deal, yeah. you know, so how does the industry begin to, to move towards the, um, you know, that something that's a little bit different, you know, um, the 2472, you know, and, and the reality is transitioning to anything other than the 24 hour shift is not the answer either. No. The science has proven that the 12 hour shift schedule is not oh, the, the best. 4896, which yeah. when you learn about neuroscience and sleep deprivation, is yeah. terrifying. Yeah. Well, when, when you're 19 years old, 4896 sounds pretty awesome, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, you know, what you think about it, you're just getting beat for 48 hours, you know, and then you're going to have to. You're going to have 96 hours to try to get over it. You yeah. know, um, the eight hour schedule, you know, from, from, uh, the, the time management perspective, you know, to think about right now we're changing shifts, the logistics of a shift change happening once a day on a 24 hour shift to now happening three times a day. You know, I mean, you're, you're losing, you know, time, you know, people coming, you know, and going. And then you throw in the detriments of a, of a shift schedule on top of that. I think the nursing community has proven that, that shifts are not, shift work is not conducive, you know, to, to a healthy lifestyle. No. You know, so, um, you know, so, so we've, we've got to figure it out. And, you know, the 2472 may be the answer. You know, I, I think that we need to get some, maybe some more science behind what that looks like, you know, long term, you know, for the health of the firefighter. You know, um, but in, in the meantime, you know, we, we've got to figure out how to better take care of our firefighters while they're on shift. You know, I was one of those individuals who was against individual sleeping facilities because it, it tended to take people away from from the community. You know, you, you know, a private bedroom, as far as I'm concerned, breaks up the tribe, you know, so um you know, so we've got to, you know, set those spaces where people can have the downtime, you know, when, you know, when the engine goes out, it doesn't wake up the truck, you know, the truck goes out, it doesn't wake up the engine. When the ambulance goes out, it doesn't wake up the engine and the truck. Yeah. You know, you don't have your chief monitoring a radio for 24 hours. Oh, absolutely. You're not yeah. that important. Yeah. They'll call you if they need you. Yeah. I mean, and I, when I was riding battalion, you know, that shit, that radio stayed on all night, yeah. you know, long. 
you know um you know so so you know so to, to figuring that thing that thing out um you know uh, allowing the structured downtime you know, and I don't want to call it naps, but, you know, the structured downtime because the reality is getting beat to death. Well, an hour nap isn't going to help a whole lot. It may help a little bit. I could nap anyway. I mean, I'm all for naps. I mean, yeah. I think that's, you know, that's the thing that all these sleep people have told me that, yeah, you know, a 30 yeah. minute nap can definitely help, but I just couldn't nap. Yeah. And I couldn't, definitely couldn't pre, I never understood it. Like I haven't been up all night yet. I can't like, you know, put it in the reserve tank. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's just it. There's, there's ways of deregulating and whatever that looks like, whether it's actually sleeping on a lazy boy, whether it's, you know, I used to just walk outside. That was yeah. my reset. But, um, well, I got one for you. Yeah. If you want to tip over the apple cart and really cause some people to sling one at you. You came to the right place. Okay. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> you know, uh, what about the concept, you know, when you've got a multi-station department, you've got some stations that are busy that are getting hit, just plastered you know what about a rotating cruise from a busy station to a slow station see and i've heard that um mentioned um my thing is a couple of things firstly i think any any busy station you know you bid that station because you want to work mm -hmm. there's nothing in my opinion better which is why i hate it when they force rotate crews because um, you can bid away if you don't want to be there you can bid out and go somewhere else you know and if you don't have a bid system then you should but um there's nothing more to me that makes you feel more effective as a firefighter than truly knowing your first due. Absolutely. There's a corner, you know, it's on this corner, right? That's a trailer park. I know it's a trailer park. These are the tools I'm going to need when I get off. You know, that, that kind of knowledge. Oh, you know, there's, the, the train's coming down. I'm going to have to go down this street, over the bridge, back. If that's not my first due, I don't know any of this stuff. So that's why I don't like this kind of, and even like the tribal thing, like rotating, that's why I think the focus has to be not on, again, switching that Rubik's Cube, but just understanding police, fire, nurse, doctors, whatever. If you're going to ask a human being to be awake all night while you sleep in your beds, mm -hmm. then we have to give them enough rest and recovery when that next shift rolls around, whatever that looks like, they are as close to baseline yeah. again. And I, you know. I agree with you 100%. Yeah, yeah I so. agree with you 100% on the first do, you know, argument, you know, but when I come back to the fact that, okay, what can we fix? You know, the 2472 is going to be a heavy, heavy lift. You know, we can, we can fix that, that work environment. And, you know, and, and I've got a, I've got a nephew who works for Fairfax County, you know, and I've got a nephew who's a, who's a you know, captain with Horry County in South Carolina, you know, and, and that nephew in Fairfax uh, is in one of the busiest stations in the, in the country. They're running 12,000 calls a year out of that house. And when I mentioned this idea to him, whew, you know, he's, he's ready to go to, he's ready to go to, you know, to cuffs over it because he just, he, he that's his, he, he's there because that's he wants station. to, exactly. he feels fulfilled, you yeah. know, um, you know, and I don't believe that you need to just wholesale rotate people around. But they're not, is Fairfield not 24-72 though? They, they've got a different schedule. Okay. You know, is it a 42-hour work week? So not, I know a lot of the Northeast is 42. Yeah, I don't think there are 42, um, you know, and I haven't asked about the mathematics, but, you know, okay. he's he's definitely getting hammered when he's on shift, yeah. you know, so, and I, and I don't believe in wholesale rotation, you know, where you just willy-nilly, you know, but. Well, that's what our know, last department did. Like, yeah. They just, you know, they there's kept no, switching it for no reason. Yeah, there's there's no, because you're, you know, the, the, the tribe you know, the concept, the need to understand your first due. But I, I do believe that if you set up a, a structured rotation to where you're dealing with two, you know, two first dues and, you know, you're out for a little bit just to give you that chance to, okay, let me, let me just decompress a little bit before you head, you know, back in, you know, and the other side, you know, that bid system is, you know, it's really easy, 
and you saw it at that last apartment there. You know, it's really easy for crews, for senior members to bid out to really, really slow stations where they can ride out the rest of their career. Mm-hmm. Well, what's funny is the last place, what used to be slow stations mm-hmm. with all the developments, and then now, like, um, uh, mutual aid, they aren't slow anymore. They're not slow anymore. So yeah. there is no slow station yeah. there anymore. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's one thing. I mean, you got to be careful because... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know. As a senior firefighter, I do believe there comes a day in time you need to decide whether you want to stay in this business or not. Well, that's the thing. Keeping your training, top of your game. Calls, you know, top of your game, you know. So I realize I've touched on a pretty contentious issue there, but, you know. But but that's the conversations we need to have. And that's just it. And it's it's funny because even when you say with the uphill battle, I think the way we solve this problem is, and we can't do this in the fire service because there's like, next to no research in our profession which is insane but when it comes to wellness sarah jenke and some of those those uh other researchers about the only people we've got helping us but when we look at the military the naval profession the you know the um, trucking professions all the data is there so to understand the concept that if you have the courage to just invest in your department that you are also going to save your department a huge amount of money yes. down the road that's how you do it. So I, to me, it's like, why wait? Why don't we just freaking address this? You know, talk to the Northeast, talk to Boca, talk to Paul Combs's department, all these ones, you know, Pip from Five Five. These are all 42-hour mm-hmm. work week people. Talk to them, say, you know, yeah. compare apples to apples. And then, because I mean, that's what I had with um, uh, Josh who came on the show. He was O2X. So he used to travel around the country and then, but he was, he became a Boston fireman. And he's like, it's insane. Like we have, you know, we work 14 hours less a week doing exactly the same job as most of the country. So, you know, when, when we have, for example, a union that you, to me, the first role of a union is the work week, mm-hmm. you know, and health and safety. I don't understand why this wasn't addressed decades ago. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, to me, I, it, it's just, it's not about it being anything other than someone having the the balls to say we're going to invest in our people and we're going to we're going to draw a line here and we're going to start using these other agencies that are already being very successful as our blueprint to move forward yeah absolutely and and that's what it's going to take is is data you know and and you know and unfortunately you know you're talking about wanting to quantify you know the positive impacts of of a you know, of sleep hygiene, a positive sleep hygiene, you know, and the negative impacts of sleep deprivation. We as an industry haven't even quantified the, the, the financial benefits of having a wellness program. Oh yeah. You know, I, I forget who it was that you had on early on. It was the, um, the, uh, the, the trainer, uh, coach from out in California. I think he spoke to our health and safety conference a couple of years ago, you know, but he's got real numbers, you know, on, you know, on, uh, on leave time, you know, and, and, and absences from sick and injury and returning firefighters to, to work. And he's got real stories on, you know, on firefighters who have knee injuries who they're talking about, you're going to have to have surgery and your career is over. You know, so he spends three months with them and he's, they're winning, you know, you know, national rowing competitions on a, on a, on a rowing machine. You know, those, mm-hmm. that's the kind of stuff we've got to sink our teeth into as an industry. And, and when risk managers say, well, why do you need that? Well, here, let me show you. Yeah, well, yeah. because you actually want to stop your people from getting hurt and dying is the main reason. But if you don't care about that, which sad, sadly, surprisingly, seems to be an issue with some departments, well, then here's the financial element too. And I think O2X is another great company to go to because what they've done in Boston, they've saved them millions, I yeah. think. 
yeah, in Boston's cancer uh, incidents were were through the roof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I think that's a great place to transition. Okay. So, as as you know, you've heard this. It's nice. It's nice, uh, you know, having a guest that's heard the podcast. So it's not always that surprise when there's a question. But again, I don't expect everyone to listen to this either when they come on. Um, but so the first question: Is there a book that you love to recommend? You know, um, I, I like to read a lot of things that are. Um, I, I usually keep two books going at a time. You know, my wife thinks I'm nuts, you know, but I, I usually keep a, a fiction book and a, and a book that's about learning. Something I do the going same. At the same time. So yeah. you're not nuts. She's nuts. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to tell her she's nuts. You can tell her she's nuts. Well, she's um, faster at running than me. I can't. She is much faster. Yeah. So, yeah. So I couldn't, I can't outrun her. But, um, you know, so I, I, I liked a lot of fiction because it allows me to, to decompress a little bit. You know, and to, to be that spy, you know, in, in a foreign country, you know, doing cool stuff, um, you know, but, you know, it's interesting, you know, I, I, I talk to the firefighters about um, things like um, team of teams, you know, uh, you know, books like that, that are that are non fire service that are business oriented. And they tell you, well, that's not important because it's not fire service. Well, well, look, it doesn't matter whether swinging an axe or swinging a pen, you know, there's, there's some good principles there, you know. So, you know, I think one of the easy ones I would, I would go for, uh, what I would consider to be a relatively low-hanging fruit is, fruit is the book Good to Great. You know, it is, um, it's a business book, um, but the principles that I identify in it uh, with, you know, a disciplined thought, disciplined people, disciplined action, you know, and, and you know, looking at, at these companies, you know, that were able to go from, from good companies to great companies and, and maintain it, you know, and I think that we as the fire service need to do that, you know, in recognizing that we've got to go from, from good, you know, to great. The days of thinking that, you know, people, they accept us because they, they, they love us because we're superheroes. We leap tall buildings in a single bound. We outrun speeding bullets and, you know, and they just, they're just supposed to love us, you know, and the reality is that's not that way anymore. You know, so um, the only reason we're still in business as most fire departments is because we have a monopoly. You know, there, there's nobody else really going to do that, you know, um, and but, and they could put a private fire department in to, you know, to take your place. That's that's happened. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's not the AMR. I think the AMR is one of them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and the reality is there, there's there's lots of private fire departments across the country. Now, oh, most yeah. of them well, are, we used to what technically is. Yeah. In a roundabout way, it is. Yeah. I mean, and, and a lot of this country is protected by 501c3s. You know, which are volunteer organizations, but, you know, but they are, they're a private entity, you know, and there are others across this country that are, that are not for profit entities, but they are private, you know, so, you know, you could be put out of business, you know, if you deliver bad service, you know, you push the taxpayer to a point where they, they feel like they've got no other options, they'll find an option. You know, uh, Alan Brunacini, Chief Brunacini from Phoenix used to say that if you marginalize your customer, your customer will marginalize you. You know, and that's not where you want to be, you know, as the, you know, as supposedly the, the golden children, you know. So I think that we've got to recognize, and I know I'll bump up against one here that will send somebody over the edge, you know. But, um, you know, the operation of a fire department as a business, you know. Now, I don't believe we should have business practices, but that we should operate under business principles. Recognizing we have a customer, that's a taxpayer. We well, also, a, I mean, I think just, sorry to interrupt, but no, just as, as a... You know, there's always that pushback for that, but I think you, again, people think of business as the traditional business. I I see it like the the you know the virgin 
group, you know, the Elon Musk business. doesn't mean we have to be a shitty business. Yes. We need to be a progressive business that understands that if you invest in your people, the customer gains. Absolutely. If you have ownership and have a high bar and you create a team of incredible men and women that you know, operate at this high level because we've created an environment for them to thrive, the customer's going to be head over heels. Yeah. But if we show up, you know, obese, untrained, cowardly, whatever, you know, version and their, their loved one dies, then, you know, that's, that's the telesales business. We want, to choose, we want a business, but we want the, the, the business that understands longevity, understands investing in their people, Absolutely. that business model. Absolutely. And the reality is the taxpayer, our customer, you know, wants to return on their investment. Their investment happens to be the, the taxes, and, and but the return on investment to them is not, is not a dollar. You know, it's not a dividend. It's not a check. That return on investment for them is their safety, their security. Back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, if people can't feel get past that feeling of security and safety, they'll never get to self-actualization. You know, so if we have citizens that don't feel safe, you know, because we are providing crappy service to them. They're, they're not going to go to the next level and they, they could find somebody else, you know, to do it. You know, I think the big issue for us, you know, to, just so people don't throw too many stones at me, the big issue for us is, is with that business philosophy is the area where we fall short from a business or where we are distinctly different is we don't have the ability to adjust our price point to, to address shortages. You know, so we can't raise our, we can't just arbitrarily raise our prices because fuel went up, the cost of bunker gear went up, the air packs went up, you know, salaries have gone up. We don't have that ability. You know, we're, we're pretty much, you know, stuck at that price point until people that are above us, you know, fix it. So, so no to business practices, but yes to business principles. And I think the good to great book is, can help you focus if you can just take your blinders off and recognize, no, it's not about, it's not about fire departments, but there are some great principles in there, even from a, on a personal level. You know, how do you individually go from good, you know, to great, you know, and to be that high quality member of the team where people in the department either want you on their team, you know, or, or they want to get on your team, you know. So, so that would probably be one of the, you know, the, the simpler ones, you know, um, you know, there, there were, uh, several, you know, uh, you know, fire service report from engine company 82, mm, I think a was a book. great book, yeah. you know, um, you know, so I would definitely recommend, you know, that one, um, you know, I think Dennis Smith, uh, wrote a series, you know, called, um, Jake's, uh, Luft, Captain Chief, you know, they're, they're fictional, but there's some great leadership principles, you know, that you can pull out of those, out of those books. Um, and they're just fun to read, you know, so you sort of get the best of both worlds. You might pick up at the leadership principle along the way, but, you know, and, and that series in particular starts out with a, with a probie firefighter, you know, and, and it really follows him, develops him that storyline for him throughout his career until he becomes a chief officer and it's, it's a neat journey. I'm going to have to buy that. I yeah. haven't even heard of that. Okay. I think I've got, because he did one on, didn't he do one on 9-11 as well? Yes, I believe he did. Yeah, so yeah. I've got those two, but I haven't heard of the series. Yeah, so. yeah like I said, I want to say it, it um, I forget what the very first one, but then it's Firefighter, you know, and then Jake, or Jake's, you know, and then, then Luff's, then Captain, and then Chief, and I think it was one of the more, you know, in there. And they were good books. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right. Okay. Well, then same question. What about a movie or documentary? Well, um, you know, movie, you know, you're never going to get better than, than, you know, Top Gun and Hunt for Red, Red October. Those are, you know, classics, 
you know, and I've seen him so many, so many times, you know, but, um, you know, I, I think, um, uh, you know, if I had to point to a movie that just, um, as good of as good life lessons, you know, I would, I would point to, um, it's a wonderful life, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a little bit, you know, old school, um, you know, but it's a, it's a great movie that, that, you know, when, when people doubt the impact they're having on the world around them, you know, somebody who has the ability to see, you know, you know, uh, what the life looks like when they're not involved, you know, and how one, one thing has changed in the cascading effects, you know, so when you think your life doesn't matter, you know, that I think it really speaks to the fact that if you're not in it, there's people that will, their life will be a lot different, you know, and sometimes in, an, in a very negative way, you know, and you, and your guy starts off with big old grandiose plans about, you know, how he's going to conquer the world, you know, and the impact he made on a small community. I, I, I love watching, you know, yeah. the movie. That was James know. Stewart. Um, uh, Jim, yeah, Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart, yeah. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. Well, then what about documentaries? Any of those that you've... You know, I'm not a big documentary fan um, or watcher. You know, I will say that when somebody finally drags me to watch one, I'll, I usually enjoy them. You know, the one I think that, that I've watched recently that I enjoyed, that I think was life-changing, you know, for us, was the the Game Changers. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that was one where, you know, I got my wife to sit down and watch it with me and we got done and she was like, oh my, you know, there's some, we need to do some things different, you know, and, uh, you know, and I'm, I buy about 90% of what they present. You well, know, they've all got a, you know, an agenda, but we, every story has an agenda. No, my absolutely. agenda of my book is to stop people dying. It's still yeah. an agenda. Well, you you've know? got an agenda being here. I, yeah. I, you know, I've got an agenda being here, you know, so, you know, it, that it's okay, you know, so you, you take the pieces out of it that, that fit and you discard the ones you know that that, that don't mm -hmm. yeah you know, so all but as useful as bruce mm -hmm. lee said yeah beautiful all right well then um next question is there a person you recommend to come on the podcast as a guest absolutely um you know i, I think it's somebody that you, we've we've sort of talked about before a guy named dave downey you know who's retired fire chief out of miami-dade um you know he is uh, a neat person you know, to, to spend time with, um, on a human level. Um, but, um, recognizing he was, you know, he was in charge of one of the largest fire services in our country. Um, he was, uh, part of the team. I don't want to say he was lead, but he was part of the team when Florida Task Force One went to Haiti, uh, for the, the earthquakes. earthquakes. Yeah. And I believe he'd been on some other international deployments. And he was one of the key individuals who has been part of developing the state of Florida's emergency response plan, you know, what we call our SERP plan. And I will tell you that I, I believe from watching it be activated, that that SERP plan is second to none, you know, in this country. And I'll, I'll put it up against, you know, the, the Mavis system. I'll put it up against Ohio's system. And, you know, in California, you know, we're, we're up there. And Dave was, was integral in, you know, in writing that plan. Him and uh, another guy by the name of TJ Lyon. That, and I don't know if you know TJ. That name rings a bell, yeah. It does, yeah. Where did he used to work? Orange County. Oh, that's why. Yeah. 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 He was the battalion chief that was on the, um, the, the fire when the three or the two Orange County firefighters were killed. Mm -hmm. uh, Todd Mark Aldridge and, Todd. and, and yeah. Mark being, he was the battalion, you know, on that call. Um, you know, he could, he could probably be a pretty good interview, you know, Absolutely, as well. Yeah. yeah. Another neat individual, you know, to watch um, Orange County transition to what they were to where they're at, you know, today. Um, and then, uh, you know, another name that I would give you um, is uh, Dwight Bain. 
you know, who is a licensed mental health counselor uh, with the LifeWorks group out of Orlando. Um, he has been intimately involved in, um, uh, in first responders um, who have responded to mass uh, shootings, mass casualty incidents. Um, he was involved with some of the Columbine you know, the after action stuff that went oh, on really? with Columbine. Um, and, and he is also, and I will, I will, I will lay it out there, you know, that he is, he was, he was my counselor when I walked through some of my personal stuff, you know, in, in, in life. And, 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 you know, I say that so that, you know, again, taking, you know, the, the, taking those blinders, those, those, those barriers down, there's times when we all need help, you know, and, and it's okay you know, to, to say that I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. And, and Dwight Bain was one of those who, who walked me through that, you know, didn't have any magic answers, but he helped me navigate some very, some very tough situations. And, um, you know, so I would, I would point you towards him, you know, as well from a, from a mental health, you know, first responder perspective. Beautiful. Yeah. Excellent. Well, three great names. Thank you so much. All right. So the last question before we make sure everyone knows, you know, how they can reach out to you. Mm-hmm. What do you do to decompress these mm-hmm. days? Yeah. Um, you know, my, my wife and I would like to hike. You know, we spend a lot of time, you know, walking in the woods um, and, and just walking, you know, in, in general. Um, you know, I, you know, again, you know, I'm married to a phenomenal you know, woman, you know, I, I married above myself, you know, a long time ago, we were, we were a blind date. Oh, you really? Know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Honestly, you know, I was, I got a call from a guy that I worked with and said, Hey, I got this girl wants to meet you. Okay. What's she look like? Well, she's got a great personality. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> we know how that goes, but, um, went on the blind date and, and we've been really inseparable since, you know, she's been the rock, um, in a marriage that has lasted 30 years now, you know, so spending time with her, you know, and, and, and doing the, the hiking and the walking, spending time with my family. You know, I, I, I love having my children, you know, around, you know, I just married my oldest daughter, um, back in November. And, um, when you say married, you didn't actually marry her in a Florida no, way. No, you just saw her get married. I, yeah. Okay. I, I paid for the wedding. Okay. <laughs> I, I paid for, no, it was not a typical, I was not a Southern wedding, you know? Um, you know, so there's, no, yeah, we could certainly go there, but, um, you know, but no, she, uh, she married, um, a young man that I coached in, in the real football, you know, since he was 14 years old and a uh, great young man. Um, he loves her as much as I do, you know, and so as a father, that makes you feel pretty, pretty cool. So, Absolutely. so giving her away in marriage wasn't as hard as I thought it would be, you know, although I still cried like a baby, you know, but, um, you know, and I've got a, you know, a, she's, she's 25, a 23 year old son, a 21 year old daughter and a, and a 19 year old son who now is trying to, he's in EMT school now as we speak and is, and he got his firefighter one done, you know, last, last summer. So, uh, spending time with them, you know, and, and just in, enjoying the gifts that I've been given and the blessings, you know, that I've been, been giving, given. And, and then that just unwinding with, with a good book. You know, the, the, um, the ability to, to get into a quiet place, you know, and, um, you know, the, the learning a lot more now, you know, about, uh, things like meditation, you know, and, and that ability to, 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 to just unplug, you know, with all of the noise, you know, uh, you know, for, for, um, for those of us, you know, in the, in the, uh, you know, the Christian, you know, religion, you know, the, the issue of the, 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 the Sabbath, you know, in that, that day of rest and, and recognizing that the, the Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. You know, that rest was made for us, you know, and, and, you know, so we need that, 
you know, so getting into a quiet place and the ability to just reflect and to think and to, you know, to process, you know, and to allow your brain just to, you know, to unplug, you know, a little bit. You know, I like to do that with a good book. You know, I like to do that in, in the quiet. You know, I'm an, I'm an early riser, you know, so. Um, so those are those are sort of the you know the things that that we do, um, you know. I know this next summer we've got a big uh, family vacation you know coming up, you know where my two nephews you know the firefighters will will be there and you know we'll we'll spend a week, you know just enjoying each other. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. So. Yeah, I think a lot of people are looking forward to traveling. Hopefully mm-hmm. the the spring will bring uh, you know some barriers lifted. I'm praying. I hope so. I really I really do. You yeah. know. So yeah. I you know, I think we're moving you know in the right direction. We'll we'll see where this journey slash circus takes us. You yes. know, but you know the reality is I, I think that we've got to recognize that when when this thing is over, there'll be another thing coming next. Mm-hmm. You know, so so don't get too wrapped up in in the things. You know, and make the most out of the life that we're given and the opportunities that we're given. You know, to 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 build a life. Absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Well, then, people listening, if they want to reach out to you, what's the best way? Well, you know, obviously, I'm on I'm on Facebook, um, on Instagram. You know, I don't have any cool handles, you know, but you know, um, but yeah, <laughs> they can reach out to out me there. there. You know, um, they can they can always reach me through you know the Florida State Fire College. You know, and and um, you know, happy to you know to to talk to anybody about anything at any given you know time. You know, so, um, but. That's pretty much it. Well, I just want to say thank you. I mean, you know, firstly, the position that you hold to be as transparent and to be as, you know, open-minded and progressive in in these these issues, I think is, you know, is powerful. Listen to you talk, you know, having the, like I said, the courage and honesty to tell, you know, some of the the darker periods of your life. But I think that's, that's it. We need people like you that, understand again the investing in people and 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 you know you said why did that happen to you i think a lot of us have been through some of the the shitty times in our life that come out the other side and go kind of like covid i can sweep it under the carpet and just maybe play a violin tell everyone how bad my life is or i can grow from it and and then you know use that to to teach lessons to you know so season other people so i think there's been so much in this two hours i just want to thank you so much for Has it been two hours yeah it's wow. over two hours yeah, it's been fun <laughs> yeah i've enjoyed it you know and you know and, and james honestly i appreciate what you've done you know for us you know as it's an industry you know forcing these conversations keeping them out front you know it's something we've talked about before you know it's really easy to react to the bad thing that happens but we tend to forget about that a couple of months later and and what you're doing is is making sure these conversations can't get swept you know under the rug um and and i appreciate you know the the impact you had when i started my journey you know and and you know that proved to be you know on on some levels a life preserver you know where i could begin to focus on on how to take care of myself you know so you've you've made a difference you know in, in at least one person's life i can tell you that much and i appreciate you for it 